Welcome to the Nightmares Podcast. Three Chicago filmmakers talking about everything horror. Uh, this is Brandon Rakowski, co-creator and executive producer of Living Nightmares, and I am here with <laughs> Mark Conway, the uh, um, co- also co-creator and executive producer, and apparently person that gets off topic a lot because um, I got, just got the death stare. So, and also standing to my left. Um, uh, go ahead. I'm not really standing, but for some reason we can't get past the intro without giggling like a bunch of freaking schoolgirls. Uh, I'm Zachary Smith. Hi. Alright. And today we've uh, got a plethora of topics. Uh, we're going to be talking about a couple horror movies that we saw. Um, Zach wants to talk about horror video games. And then we have Mark's question of the podcast. And then we're going to conclude today's podcast talking about the audition process when it comes to making movies. Brandon, you got a lot of stuff to talk about, too. I, 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 can, yeah. I can feel you bubbling, bro. Like, <laughs> the first two topics are really Brandon-heavy, so we're just going to let him take the uh, take the helm here. All right. So, first off, I did see the new Pet Cemetery remake. And mm-hmm. how was it, Brandon? I liked it. Cool! Um, See, so yeah, I actually thought it was a lot better than the original, uh, which I never liked the original. I thought it was a very... I never liked the cast of the original. Um, the child actors were pretty annoying, and Fred Gwynn as Judd was a joke. Um, especially after South Park did uh, their send-up of him, not once, but three times, actually. Maybe more, but I, I can think of three times off the top of my head. I, mean, I, I just thought the original movie just wasn't that good. Um, do you guys know what Pet Cemetery is about? Yes, I have the general. Um, uh, yeah, you could bring people yeah, back to so, life if you know the secrets of it. So it's about this family that moves to a small town in Maine. Uh, <laughs> no shit, it's, it's Maine. It's, <laughs> it's always Maine. No, no, The Shining was Colorado. Um, and the only reason that happened is because he stayed a night in that hotel and, and it freaked him out so much he wrote a story about it. He's like, holy shit, this is so creepy, it's not going to be in Maine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's about a family of four, husband, wife, daughter, toddler, son. Uh, they moved to a small town in Maine, and deep in the woods on their property is this pet cemetery. And beyond that, there's this like cursed ground where if you bury something dead, it'll come back to life, but it won't really be itself. It'll be something a lot more sinister, a lot more demonic. And so about maybe uh, halfway through the movie, uh, the family's cat dies, and the father uh, wants to kind of protect his daughter from that, and the father's also become friends with this older man that lives kind of right next door to them right at least yeah right next door to them kind of down the street and he shows him the uh cursed ground he doesn't say it's cursed of course but he shows him the ground where if you bury it it'll come back to life and then later on one of his kids dies and he's like oh well if it brought back the cat why wouldn't it bring back my kid but of course uh what comes back isn't exactly what he put in the ground. Yeah, I actually thought it was a very downright decent movie. Uh, apparently a lot of people aren't liking it. It's not a perfect movie, 
but it's even further from a bad movie, I think. Like, the night before I saw it, Zach pulled up the Rotten Tomatoes score, and it was, what, like 52, 53%, yeah, some, something, something like that? Something low. I, something I don't know really why. low. Yeah, it was a little ridiculous, but I, I wouldn't say it was justified. Yeah, like, I can understand why somebody wouldn't like the movie, but I don't see it as a, I don't see it as a 50% movie it is currently at 58 percent on rotten tomatoes it's definitely better than a 58 what is the critic and what is the uh user uh, that makes a lot of difference oh that's a good that's a good point well, you look uh, that audience up. is actually 41 percent and wow, wow. Yeah. okay that's a yeah. so yeah. i'm in the minority on this one apparently apparently um, yeah I, mean, I, I thought it was a pretty good movie um the first half was really good. It did a really good job at introducing the family, uh, introducing Judd. Um, at the time of the story, uh, the daughter has like a lot of questions about death, and so the parents are going through that. Should we protect her from this? Shouldn't we? The father doesn't think they should, but the mother, who's had her own traumatic experiences as a child, wants to be more protective. Well, wow. second movie we watched with a mother with uh, with a traumatic past. Yeah, um, so I, I really liked the family drama going on there. Uh, it was really well shot. Um, something that I, I thought definitely trumped the original movie. Um, and then the sound design was really interesting. Like this movie really used the surround channels to really good effect. Uh, so because of those two things, I would say this is a really good movie to see on the big screen. Okay. I do have a few small issues with it, mostly in the second half after uh, his child comes back from the dead. Um, there's this one moment that the kid has with Judd concerning Judd's wife that I thought was just a little too ridiculous. Hmm. Um and up until that point, it was a pretty serious horror movie. Like, this isn't, like, fun horror. It, it's it's horror. It's, dr- it's, it's dramatic horror. Yeah, it is straight-up dramatic horror. And that's what I liked about it. Like, the movie does take its time, but once it got to where it was going, it was really good. Um, but yeah, there's th- this one moment with the kid and Judd that was a little too ridiculous for me. And then there's one moment with the father talking to his wife and i thought his he played his performance a little too villainy Mm. for that scene which with everything leading up to it and everything after i thought he should have played it a bit more mournful so it's like legitimately for that like two or three minute scene i was like wait is the father gonna become the bad guy in this nope okay that was a weird performance choice for that literally one scene um, uh, well we've certainly seen how one scene could could fuck up a whole movie oh yeah um uh, uh, uh like uh, aka new halloween <laughs> yeah but no that, that scene didn't tank the whole movie it was it was, a, it was a very weird it, it tried really hard yeah, it, it really did bring it down like that was it com- did bring it down but it, it was it didn't, it didn't completely unnecessary um now I, I never I saw like maybe the first trailer for Pet Cemetery and the rest of the trailers and ad and marketing materials like I, I try to avoid trailers when I can. Um, so one thing I will say is the movie this movie does take a complete one eighty from something that happens in the book and the original movie. Okay. Um, 
knowing how marketing is today, I'm positive at least one of you has probably seen what that change is. Um, but I really liked the change. Um, I I won't talk about it here because I I do encourage people to see the movie. I do encourage the two of you to see the movie and hopefully we can talk about it. At some Um, point I will. It's not a perfect movie. It's not as good as the It remake. I was going to say, are you going to buy it when it comes out or? Mm, If I see it on sale. Fair enough. Like it's not a full price movie. It is a very good matinee movie. Ah, matinee price. Yeah. Ah, there we go. Fair enough. There's Um, there's the real review. It is totally worth seeing on the big screen. Um, in other words, go to a local independent theater and not a chain theater. Yeah. Yeah, you'll like, get a better price. Oh, um, yeah. I actually mm-hmm. saw at the 400 theater where we saw Us on a weeknight, and it was like a 9.45 showing, and I paid only $5, and I, and I totally felt I got my money's worth. Let's, you know what like there, there are, Yeah, and there are, some, there are some movies where I've paid $5, I'm just like, that was a ripoff, but this one's like... I don't know. I, I, I felt very satisfied with what I paid for it. Cool, cool, then cool. there's some movies um, you see for free and you still feel like you want your money back. Yeah. Freaking ghost story. Um, my time back. But yeah, Pet Cemetery is a downright decent movie. Fair um, enough. A welcome remake, especially in the Stephen King uh, back catalog. Uh, I've always thought Pet Cemetery needed a remake because, like I said, I never liked the original movie. Um... Now if we can just get a good remake of Cujo and the Lawnmower Man. I think Lawnmower Man is good where it's Lawnmower at. Man is exactly where it should be. <laughs> now I don't know about the sequel, but the the original is yeah, we we can leave that one and where have it's you ever at. seen Lawnmower Man 2 beyond I've cyberspace, seen... aka Lawnmower Man 2, Job's War. I've seen bits and pieces and I've uh... heard what you've told me, so Okay, so our first tangent for tonight's episode. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Lawnmower Man. So when I was uh, visiting home a couple years ago, I, this was either right before I started working on cruise ships or right after my first ship. I forget when this was. Um, but I was visiting home and I was with my mother in this thrift store and they had this rack of VHS tapes. And on one of them, it was a copy of Lawnmower Man 2. And on it was a sticker that said something like, um, for display only copy, not intended for home viewing. And I was like, I don't think any copy of Lawn Moran 2 is intended for any kind of viewing. Um, the movie's so bad that they actually retitled it when it came out on video. Uh, I do believe the original title was Lawn Moran 2 Beyond Cyberspace. And then when they re- release it to home video and for TV, they retitled it to Lawn Mormon to Job's War to try to trick people into thinking it's a different movie. Spoiler, it didn't work. <laughs> um, you don't say. I do say. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, that's so fucking bad. The, um, uh, so I, you know what, the, there's one, the, uh, all that's wonderful and everything else. I know what I really want to hear about. I want to hear about Hellboy. I really want to hear about Hellboy because because I know because I I listened to quite a few reviews um, while I was on set. Um, uh, I was actually folks. I was actually uh, shooting a film in Kentucky over the weekend. Um, big shout out to uh, uh, Bridge uh, Bridgeview was um, Film Club uh, um, movie called Gun Story. 
It'll be out um, uh, very, very soon. It was a lot of it was a blast filming down there in Kentucky. There's actually a sweet picture that I will um, that I will have available. Our first link of the uh, yeah, first link of, of me holding a Gatling gun. Um, it's just gonna be the gag of these podcasts. Hey, here's a link. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll put that at the bottom of there. Um, <laughs> so I, I was putting in my notes picture of Mark with Gatling gun, <laughs> and it auto corrected to picture of Mark with battling fun. <laughs> What? Well, that too. I mean, you know, I mean, what's what's a trip without some battling fun? The fuck um, does that even? Okay, I have no idea. I'm just gonna accept it. But I saw quite. A, I was uh, on YouTube. I saw quite a few reviews on on Hellboy, and uh, they weren't particularly kind. Um, uh, right now, sitting at a 15 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Right now, um, uh, so I can't wait to hear what you got to say, considering how. Uh, much you were looking forward to it zach how about you start with this one because your opinion is going to be the shorter one of course uh, okay well i mean i somewhat liked it yeah. uh what was it about <laughs> um hellboy <laughs> very simple question zach what was the new hellboy movie about i uh, guess uh, i'm curious how so you, would you know okay describe so, it yeah hellboy uh brought up you know during that whole world war ii thing you know that basic origin story you know all of a sudden, everybody's telling him he's going to bring about the apocalypse. Uh, some blood queen rises from the dead, who's, you know, kind of cool, but, you know, very underwhelming in this movie. A lot of missed opportunities with her character, in my opinion. So, yeah, she rises. Especially with what happens with her in the comics. Yeah, I wish I knew. But, that's yeah, awesome. she, <laughs> she rises. Uh, they kind of duke it out, and that's really it. You know, Hellboy wins, save the day, yada, yada, yada. And it's just kind of eh. You know, I, I really didn't care. There was a few funny jokes in the movie, but realistically, the movie was just eh. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, um, it's not per, terrible. Per, personally, I think it's going to be okay if we talk about spoilers with this one, because there isn't really anything to spoil. Fair, fair enough. It's a very by the numbers action movie. Yeah. Um, All right. I guess if anything, yeah. If you're really looking forward to seeing this movie and you don't want spoilers, um, I don't know what time to skip ahead because I can't predict the future. But yeah, just keep skipping uh, until you hear something that isn't Hellboy related. Uh, the most entertaining part of this movie was absolutely the last fifteen minutes where uh, Hellboy and Blood got fight, but. Hellboy picks up Excalibur. By the way, he's the son of Excalibur, apparently? Son of King Arthur. So, well, King, Ar- King Arthur, yeah. Descendant of Dis- King Arthur. And that is accurate to the comics. However, in the comics, it's a very nearly heartbreaking scene. Like, there's a lot going on. Um, but this is, like I said, so, okay, so I'll go into my, I'll start in my opinion on this. Yeah, yeah, just, just so, go, just all you need to know is I love the genocide scene, that's really it. Everything else I just kind of give a thousand hells less about. Brandon looks like a cartoon character watching a pie cool on a, on a window seal right now. He's like, I can't wait, I can't wait, I want to tear into this. I want to tear into this so badly. Yeah, like I said, um, end of the day, it was an okay movie. I didn't hate it, I didn't love it. So, for me, everything about this movie feels backwards. Okay. Like, literally everything. Okay, so it's primarily inspired by three specific storylines from the comics. Darkness yeah. Calls, The Wild Hunt, which is probably the one it's taken the most from, and Storm and the Fury. Um, which it makes sense to combine those three stories into one movie because those stories do lead right into one another. But it's a weird three to pick when you're doing a reboot, and this is your first movie of the reboot, 
because those are literally the last chronologically those are the last three stories before hellboy and hell of which is like the grand finale of hellboy um and so they made a lot of odd choices with that because all right so those three stories like he quits the bprd in the comics right like there's a point in the comics that after he quits you don't see him with the bprd again aside from the short stories that take place decades before but chronologically um once he quits you don't see him with the bprd again um but you know, I, I saw the trailer, and what I thought this was gonna be, go, what I thought the movie was gonna be going in, was like, okay, cool. So they're gonna have him already disbanded from the BPRD, already going through his um, identity crisis. Uh, he's already gonna know that he's the thing that's supposed to bring him out at the end of the world, and then Blood Queen comes and BPRD tracks him down. They have to, you know, it's basically getting the old gunslinger back in the fight kind of story. I thought that was the direction they were going to go in based off of the trailers and based off of reading the comics. Um, no. So he's with the BPRD at the beginning, with them throughout the story, with them still at the end, which there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But what's weird is, so in those three stories of the comics that is where he is supposed to bring about the destruction of the earth. Like that is it. That is the moment in the story where that's supposed to happen. But he's just learning that he's supposed to be the destruct earth's destruction at the beginning of this movie. So he doesn't know that. So in the, within the same story, you have him learning he is earth's destructor, him learning he's a descendant of King Arthur, him bringing down the blood queen. Um, all of this basically they're condensing literally 25 years worth of comic book backstory into one movie and it doesn't work because in the comics hellboy so hellboy in this movie as zach said is very much an angsty teen with daddy issues he's not like that in the comics at all and also in this movie they play him as pretty dumb would you agree with that, Zach? Yeah, for the most part. He's not the smartest kid on the block, but he's not a complete and utter moron either, so... Like, he's kind of like the dumb jock in this movie, I guess. is probably the closest description I can think of. I would of. say a little smarter than that, but close, yeah. That's, yeah, that's... but not, not much smarter. Yeah. Um, in the comics, he's smart. Like, he is the world's greatest paranormal investigator. In fact, they even introduce him in the movie as the world's greatest paranormal investigator... But then he's dumb for, throughout the whole movie. It makes no sense. Whereas in the comics, he is literally the best at what he does. Um, and he's also a much quieter character in the comics. He's very... He's going through essentially an identity crisis. Um, mm. He doesn't know who he is in the grand scheme of things. He's basically a man being pulled in two different directions. And he wants nothing to do with either of those directions. He just... Like, he likes not knowing he's supposed to be Earth Destructor. He's someone that would prefer to have his head in the sand when it comes to these heavy decisions. So Ron um, Perlman's portrayal of it was probably more accurate, you would say? Yeah. Okay. Still not quite there, but miles ahead of what we got in this new movie. Gotcha. Um, 
I, the Guillermo del Toro movies still aren't the comics, but they're still uh, much truer to the spirit of the comics. They respect the them. Yeah. Yeah. Well. They, they fit right in um, without actually being exactly what the comics are. Okay. Uh, the comics definitely are more horror heavy, uh, whereas the del Toro movies are much more fantasy heavy. Fantasy action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Still great. If you haven't seen them, watch them. Yeah. You know, maybe if you watched them before, we would have had a proper third one. But no. Nope. Yep. But yeah, uh, there's a lot of self reflection in the comics, whereas this new movie is like, go 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 go. We got to get from one set piece to the next set piece to the next set piece to the next set piece. And there are characters in the movie that are straight out of the comics that basically want their revenge against Hellboy. Um, most notably, the Baba Yaga, who's like this witch character. Uh, who Hellboy took her eye decades before this story takes place. Uh, and so basically she wants one of his eyes. Um, and then there's the pig character who I always butcher the pronunciation of his name, so I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name here. But he's the one that resurrects the Blood Queen. He has his own vendetta against Hellboy. But the Baba Yaga and the pig man their revenge stories are decades in the making and it just doesn't quite come through in the movie. It sounds like a bunch of shit just got thrown together and they tried to rush from scene yes. to scene to scene with shitty special effects, not understanding the character. And no, there was no understanding of the character whatsoever. So they just threw it together and... It was and a loud, action-y mess... Okay. Realistically, what probably happened is they looked up the cliff notes for those three stories, and they're just like, cool, somebody write that into a script. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and then sell the name. Yeah. And yeah. like, so, there is a scene in the movie where Hellboy is talking to the Baba Yaga, and they do make the deal where Hellboy is going to give her one of his eyes, but then he's like, ah, you never specified when. That was a huge moment in the comics. Because that's mm. happening when the Blood Queen has her army. Nobody can get to her. Um, and the Baba Yaga says to Hellboy, Well, I can get you to the Blood Queen, but you have to give me one of your eyes if you want my help. And so he just gives her one of his eyes right there and makes the deal right there. So like going forward, Hellboy is only one eye when he fights the Blood Queen. Um... And then there's the actual fight with the Blood Queen. In the comics, she trans she turns into this world-ending dragon. And there's this really epic battle. And at the end, as Hellboy wins, uh, the dragon reverts back to the Blood Queen. And with her final breath, she essentially just rips out Hellboy's heart and kills him. And that what that's what leads into Hellboy and Hell. In the movie, basically, they're just standing there, and then it cuts some clips to London, where a bunch of hell creatures come out and kill a bunch of people, which, if you've seen the Red Band trailer, you've probably seen most of those shots. Not in um, the detail they show here. It's it's the most visual, at least for me. It's the there, most there visually... There's more to it in the movie. But yeah. Like, it... There's more to it in the amount of content you get, but there isn't more to it in regards to what's actually going on in the story. I, I would say if you're a gore hound, you're pretty much paying for that scene. That, yeah. That's pretty much it. Like, um, that was my most enjoyable scene throughout the entire film. Everything else was just 
Yeah, and then basically he just like stabs her with Excalibur, and then he stabs the ground, and then all the hell creatures go back to hell. I'm just like, I, I want to see the news. It's basically that Phantom Menace thing where it's like you destroy the main thing and all the little bad guys Shut go down. with it, even though they're nowhere near each other. I want to see the news report in London right after that, <laughs> where they're just like, well, that was a weird five minutes in London. How's it going on your side of the pond? <laughs> in the comics that were in this movie, but they were just kind of just rushed and not given any emotion. Um, so this sounds like a big ass skip because the funny part is I was trying to I was you turn to Zach and ask him hey what's the plot of this Mm -hmm. and most movies we can pretty much rattle it off in a sentence yeah. Zach was grasping at straws to try to yeah. fucking explain this shit. It's like there, there's and this, then, then and this, then this, then this, and it's like... What? And then there's, sometimes this happens, and, and then, then you maybe do get this the happens. tribute to the Hellboy in Mexico one-shot where he fights a vampire lucha wrestler. Uh, you do get his origin story in there. You do get a cameo from Lobster Johnson, which if you haven't read any of the comics, that scenes, those two scenes are going to mean nothing to That you. Lobster Johnson scene um, was like, where the hell did this come from and why Why do we care? Is are You tr- you are trying to set up for a sequel, but you're probably oh, not going to get Oh, I have some one. words about that too. So, the very, so there's a mid-credit scene with Lobster Johnson. I don't really count. I don't really count mid-credit scenes as the ending. But the ending of the movie before the credits start rolling, they find Abe Sapien's tank during a mission, meaning Hellboy doesn't know Abe yet. And that that's a big deal to me because like literally they've known each other for decades in the comics. Hmm. Um, like everything about this movie is backwards so um, so so a movie with a uh, so a movie with a with a comic book title doesn't doesn't go back to a source material what a shock a scene where hellboy fights three giants and again that's a really important scene in the comics not so much in the movie it's just kind um, of a bloody weirdly edited battle scene yeah and the the, the green screen effects were just they looked off and the camera was way too close to everything so it's like i know what's going on but i don't really know what's going on it It wasn't really shot or edited well but when do you want to talk about all the behind the scenes stuff that supposedly went on yeah so the night before we saw and we saw it thursday night um, we saw it the day of release like the exact first showing at the theater uh so wednesday night an article drops detailing a lot of behind-the-scenes drama on this movie. Apparently a lot of producer-director clashes. Like, I guess the producer would give the, the actors conflicting direction. Ooh. Uh, rewrites. Oh. Yeah, rewrites. This is some of the happened. worst drama you could ever imagine on set. Like, this is the type of thing you want to avoid at all costs. And then allegedly the producer fired the director's DP to send a message of who's really in charge. Oh. Which, My dick is bigger than yours, contest. Which this movie was directed by Neil Marshall, all right? Who I'm actually a pretty decent fan of. I haven't seen all of his movies yet. Refresh my memory. So he directed his first movie was Dog Soldiers, which is one of my favorite werewolf movies. Right. It's basically Scottish Predator with werewolves. Um, you can't go wrong with that. No, that sounds pretty good. And it, it, it's, it actually has some of my favorite werewolf design 
ever. Like, I, I love the look of those werewolves. Uh-huh. Um, like, they're just nasty beasts, and it's a really cool movie. Um, then he directed The Descent. Ah, that's, that's actually that's a good that's, one. That's a good movie. Which okay, is good. arguably my favorite horror movie from between 2000 and 2009. Um, it's definitely wow. it's definitely up there. Like, really? I, I, I love The Descent. Oh, I didn't know um, that. That's, yeah, that's... that's and a, off the top of my head, I don't know if I would call it my best from that decade, but it's definitely in my top five. What year was that one? Oh five, oh six. Yeah, right around yeah. there. Because um, that, was, that was a good one. It was, it was a really good one. It is a really good one. Um, and I believe both of those were shot with the DP that got fired from Hellboy. Uh, he also directed Doomsday and Centurion, which I have not seen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have been intrigued by the trailers for them. Okay. Uh, then he's also done some TV work. He directed an episode of the Hannibal TV series. Oh, nice. Okay. okay. I believe he uh, directed the pilot for... They call it Constantine, though it should be Constantine, but we're not going to get into that right now. No, we're not. Uh, he also directed the pilot for Black Sails. Oh, okay, okay. And he directed two episodes of Game of Thrones, the Blackwater battle in season two and the Watchers on the Wall battle in season four. Nice, okay. So, so, and he also, I believe he also headed uh, the recent Netflix Lost in Space right before he did Hellboy. So he's got so so he's got so he's got a pedigree. Yeah. attached to him. So yeah, this he, he's done that... a mix of his own stuff and a mix and a good mix of director for hire stuff and he's always done really good quality stuff. So it's this Hellboy movie doesn't feel like a Neil Marshall movie in any way. Um and of course, the producers and their lawyers have combated the uh, article about the behind-the-scenes drama, and just they're just like, "No, that's not what really happened." But it's when you look at when you look at somebody's work, especially when they've been working for 15, 20 years, you get you see what their style is, you see what their quality is yeah. too. And so it's when something is all of a sudden just feeling nothing like what they've done in the past like not even remote like it's not like um it's not like oh big studio movie but they just got neil marshall as a director for hire no like like because like with game of thrones he still put together those battles um of course with the game of thrones team but if he didn't do a good job on Blackwater, they probably would not have invited him back for Watchers on the Wall. Yeah, which is my favorite episode, by the way. Love that yeah. episode. Um, I really like both. I think I put Blackwater a little above Watchers on the Wall, but they're both like two of the strongest episodes in the series. Did they say, did they say um, who, who, the, who the producer was in the article? I believe it was they, Lawrence Gordon and uh, I can't remember... Well, I mean, uh, well, yeah, Lawrence Gordon and then uh, Christina Campbell are the two executive producers on there. No, no, it wasn't Campbell. It was so Lawrence Gordon was one, but the one that really clashed with him was Lloyd Levin. Uh, I guess Lawrence Gordon is the one who actually has the screen rights to Hellboy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, because he's produced and, a lot of the, from what I read from the IMDb, which is interesting. Yeah, and Levin's the one who was kind of handling the day to day stuff on the set, if I remember the article yeah. correctly. He's got he, uh, yeah. Um, uh, Lawrence has got the you know quite the uh, the pedigree though for um, quite the pedigree. Yeah. Um, uh, Predator, Boogie Nights, um, uh, the um, K Packs. Um, the uh, quite a bit, uh, the Devil's Own, <laughs> the Rocketeer, 
uh, Die Hard 2, which we don't really talk about. Um, another 48 Hours. Um, holy shit, Phil the Dreams, original producer for Die Hard. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe his dick is bigger. <laughs> I don't know. The, um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe so. I, I am not a fan. But uh, according to the article, Levin was the one that Marshall mostly clashed with. Marshall hasn't said anything about it. Um, he did not attend the premiere for Hellboy, so, which who, I think speaks volumes. Who, Levin? Lloyd Levin. Lloyd Levin? Yeah. And, and this is one of the, uh, this is the director or the producer? Producer. Interesting. Lloyd Levin. Okay. The um, found, found him on. It does feel like a movie where there were clashes behind the scenes, which there's always going to be clashes behind the scenes, most smaller than others, but this one seems like these were no small clashes mm-hmm. and unfortunately and i think that's and i think that's um uh, lawrence gordon's boy yeah I don't like know. i think because most of his credits and everything else Lloyd's line credits up with his line up with yeah. his a lot and everything else he was um on watchmen and then a lot of the animated series for hellboy and then Hell, uh, the ron perlman hellboy back in the day and also mystery men which was also them as well really um, I like yeah. mystery men. and then also united 93 so I think they they work together quite a bit. Yeah. So it probably came back. I'm not a fan of that at all. The um, uh, you know, as executive producers ourselves and everything else, you hire the fucking director to do their job. Yeah, yeah. Um, the director is in charge of the quality control of, of the movie the itself. So it's like I'm gonna hire you to do our quality control. It's too bad. But even just from the Hellboy comics, they really could have made something truly special. Um, that is truly different from any other comic book movie we've had up until this point, and they didn't. They could have easily turned this into the beginning of a Hellboy cinematic universe, and it makes sense to do that. You could because because that's what everybody's yeah. doing now. But and yeah. you know me, I don't really. I'm not a fan of everything needing to be a cinematic universe, but it makes sense for Hellboy because mm-hmm. once he disbands from the BPRD, you can make a movie that follows Hellboy. Then you can make a movie that follows the BPRD. Then you can make a movie that follows Abe Sapien. You can make a movie that follows Lobster Johnson, Sir Edward Grey, which they did not introduce in the movie. Um, but there are countless directions that you could take it from that one point in the main story. And we'd have a really unique, really horror-centric superhero cinematic universe that could be bloody and gory and awesome with a unique style of its own. But no, we, we don't get any of that. We get a very forgettable movie at yes. best. Sadly. The, um, you know, so, hey, it is what it is. I mean, so, that's probably a, a not-so-good recommendation from no. Brandon Rakowski um, on this Which, film. I mean, I will say that there were some one-liners that made me laugh. It's not a completely worthless movie. It's a worthless Hellboy movie, but it's not a completely worthless generic action movie. Um, we've seen pl- I've seen plenty but, of generic yeah, action I mean, movies. We've seen yeah. plenty of that. Like, there really isn't, it doesn't really excel at anything. Like, it, it's... It's very meh. The more I think about <laughs> it, the more I don't like it. Like, when we... The, like when we the got the Superman effect. Yeah, like, when we got out of the theater, we were just like... It was sitting at, like, I think 11% when we got out of the theater, and we were just like, we don't see it. Like, it's maybe, like, a 50 but the more I think about it, the more I'm leaning towards, yeah, this really deserves nothing good to be said about it. 
the, and it, it breaks my heart to say that because Hellboy really is a truly unique character who deserves and also incredibly cinematic treatment and also incredibly important to you as well. So yeah. no, I, I get that. I get that. So all right. So on that that chipper note and everything else of man movies, um, uh, let's hey, talk. Let, one good movie and one trash movie. Pet Cemetery was good. I will hey, I, I, I do give the thumbs up to Pet Cemetery and the thumbs. Thumbs down, straight to hell for hell. Anyway, um, didn't uh, the uh, but um, uh, I think let's talk about our topic of the day uh, of the podcast, which is uh, video games, uh, horror video games, um, which is um, actually a pretty good, unique topic. And this, I think what I, I think a good idea to do is uh, we'll go around the horn, and then we will actually pick our one or two um, favorites that we've played. Over the years, and and say why it's really that. I think that's pretty simple format for uh, for this. Um, I'm not gonna go to any top ten list or anything like that because who gives no. a shit about that? Yeah. Um, I you know people are, the 22 people that are listening to this right now are if even that much. Maybe even that much. Um, hey, someday we'll make it to 20, and yeah. we're gonna be thankful for all 20 of them. Yes, and we are thankful for the 18 that are listening now, um, including my girlfriend. <laughs> the um, I, I for one am definitely thankful for the 16 that are listening. Yes, um, indeed. <laughs> oh. <ooh. laughs> That that hurt, man. Yeah. The um, uh, hey. Hey, someday we'll make it to fourteen. Hey, yay! Um, uh, <laughs> I'm just hearing random numbers right now. Yeah. So anyway, so um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually flip it over to to Zachamus. Um, uh, do your two um, uh, uh, two or one um, favorite horror video games of all time. Shit. <laughs> the uh, this topic was your idea, by the way. No, that? I know, but it's like. There's so many fucking great ones that I'd love to talk about. But, but we don't have we don't have all night, Jack. So you we, know we could have all night, but somebody decided to wait till the last minute to do a certain something. I <laughs> sorry. It's tax day. <laughs> it's tax day, everybody. Yeah, the night of recording this, it's tax day. You'll I, probably get this the week after. The um, uh, but you know, this shit happens. Uh, I've been very very busy over the last several weeks. So so but yeah, Zach. Um, uh, I definitely want to hear at least one or two. You don't even have to pick your best one. Just one or two that you want to talk about. Uh, okay. For me, I'll go with Dino Crisis, and you know what? I'll hold off my the other one for uh, when that week comes. I think it's like two weeks away. Uh, Dead Space. Okay. All right. Wait. So you, which one do you want to talk about? I guess I'll start with. Dino Crisis, because that was the first actual horror video game. The first game I would actually consider a horror video game that I played. I did play Resident Evil beforehand, but... It, that what game is, is Dino Crisis? Yeah, I've, I've never, never even, even heard, heard of it. it. Jesus Christ. Okay, <laughs> so you guys know what Resident Evil was, especially back on the PS1, right? Of course. Sure. Yeah. Made by the same guys, only replace the, replace the zombies... Yeah, Capcom. Replace the zombies with dinosaurs. So Turok. No. This is horror. Not ridiculous action with lizards who you just run around blowing body parts off of, which is extremely this, awesome. Yes. The uh, We'll put a link in, the, uh, in the description below for this one. The cover art. Wow. Yeah, okay, that that's... was the first legitimate horror game. Now, that, ga that game was an actual freaking horror game. Like, that had creepy music, really dark, heavy atmosphere, and you were very limited in your options for defense. Like, that game, you actually felt fucking terrified because... It had a really good AI system. Those raptors were smart as shit. So you go down a hole. In Resident Evil, at least from my memory, when you kill something, it stays dead. That that room is cleared forever. In Dino Crisis, that's not the case. 
Okay. You kill something. Okay, you kill a raptor. It eats half of your ammo. You leave the room. You come back. There's nothing but a pile of blood there. No body. You're just like, where'd the damn raptor go? You walk down the hallway five seconds later, the damn thing jumps at you through a pile of glass. You're like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Yeah, there's a lot of great terrifying moments in that game. But another thing, that game required you to be smart and actually read a little. I did not read when I was a kid. I hated reading. I was really freaking lazy. I would just get to the little pamphlets and I would just mash the X button. Don't care. Don't care. I just want to kill shit. <laughs> that did not help me. Because if anybody who actually played that game remembers, you need to get these disc key things, these floppy disks. Anybody who remembers a floppy disk, you're awesome. <laughs> the three and a half inch or like the actual floppy floppy disk? No, the three and a half inch. I'm not that old. I. Uh... Anyway. Yeah. Moving on. I was about to say something that I realized I am the oldest out of the three of yeah, us. Yeah, there's that. So, but yes, and I, but enough. Back to that. Yeah, and you, they give you like these weird worded keys with jumbled letters, and you have to come up with the actual key out of it. It was, it was a lot of fun, but holy crap! Yeah, that game was awesome. The uh, so 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 Dead Space. Dead Space. Which that, I have played a little bit of that one. Dead Space, Dead Space is a good fucking game. That yeah. is a good Dead game. Dead Space was not only just a phenomenal game with a great story, but it was also the first horror game in years that I'd played that actually, you know, kind of scared me a little. It's like you're always on the edge of your seat because you never know where the hell a necromorph is going to come out of. It's dark, you're isolated, you're alone, and depending on what difficulty you play it on, you're either scarce on ammo or you just have the highest abundance of ammo. But either way, like... The music. Can I know what Dead Space is about because I, I did play a little bit about it, a little bit. Of so it your that, eyes that came out like right when I fell out of video gaming. That was around, I believe it was two thousand nine. That game came eight. out two thousand two thousand eight. Are you sure? I'm most positive. Okay, one of the two, eight or nine, either way. So you, you know, are, if you're wrong on the internet, that's like seven years bad luck or something like that. <laughs> Everyone's gonna give you shit about it. Anyway. You're Isaac Clark, an engineer, going to the ship, the Ishimura, to do a repair job. But as soon as you get on board, you find out everything's gone to shit. Everyone's dead, converting into this naked, bloodthirsty, necromorph-type creature, and everything wants to kill you. While at the same time, there's this thing called the marker on board that's driving you completely and utterly insane, having you see and do a whole bunch of shit. And it's just one crazy psychedelic experience of awesomeness. 2008. There you go. <laughs> So, on top of the creepy atmosphere, beautiful graphics, great soundtrack, it also had probably one of the coolest and most interesting uh, gunplay slash gore mechanics ever. You don't kill these things by shooting them in the head like, you know, every other video game in existence. You have to dismember these bastards. Shoot their arms off, shoot their legs off, like, cut them into pieces. Oh, God, that was so satisfying back then. Sounds exhausting. The um, you know, and actually, I'm laughing over this because I just I was reading the Wikipedia page, and you know who the developer is, Brand? Who? EA. EA. <laughs> this was oh, like, oh yeah, <laughs> D- Doug is when he did the the tour of yeah you know, yeah Florida Florida that, that space was in there yeah. and everything else. That's a little story for those two. Yeah, this was before EA went complete and utterly shit. I would say they finally went down the crapper like. During or a little bit after Dead Space Three is when everything just kind of went to hell. The uh, yeah 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 the it's <laughs> so fucking EA yeah no but I actually remember the the game um uh, it was it really was claustrophobic it built it built not only was it gory not only was you know all that stuff was fantastic and the game mechanics were fantastic 
it built tension like a son of a bitch in that game. It really was good at about atmosphere and really putting you into the into that space. Yeah, and if you paid attention to just the little tiny details, including the first letter of every chapter, you get nice little Easter eggs and stuff like that. It, it was it was awesome. Like that was a game I will forever and always remember. The um, all right, so I suppose it's uh, it's my my turn. Um, uh, um, I. I'm actually gonna do two and a half because one will take a ten second. Little... Oh, you could do two and a half. I'm gonna do two and a half. Oh, just okay, cause, you cause, jerk. Because I couldn't, I couldn't get, I couldn't get one of them out of my head because it scared the shit out of me as a thirteen year old. Oh, this other was was Silent Hill of the Room. Um, I don't know what the fuck was up with that game, but um, uh, it I'd never seen a game built tension quite like that, and to put you in in and it was you were trapped in an apartment. Like it, 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 it somehow it developed a story and built tension out of being trapped in a fucking apartment, and it was also the fourth Silent Hill um, in the series. And normally at that point, stories kind of tired out, but it, it somehow did its job and built tension. But my two picks um, are hands down is Alan Wake and Bioshock. Um, uh, Bioshock's horror. Bioshock is, is, is definitely horror. Uh, that, that's really up to interpretation. I do not consider it horror. Um, it's I, a very interesting game with a really good story and great atmosphere, but to me, that, that just does I'll, not qualify as horror. I'll, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll argue the point, and I'll tell you the reason why. But I want to talk about Alan Wake, though, real quick. Yes. Um, Alan Wake is probably one of the... Only being slightly eclipsed by Bioshock, one of the best written video games that I've, I've ever played. Uh, it it truly is a uh, um, a thriller horror atmosphere um, that would make Stephen King proud, and I'm surprised it's not Stephen King. Um, if you don't know the general plot, it is a story about a writer named Alan Wake who goes to a town in North Dakota. Um, uh, it is actually it's not Maine. It's not Maine in this case. Um, we it, said uh, it's not Stephen King, Brandon. But um, uh, <laughs> but it um, uh, and it's actually. It has a very, very similar feel to Twin Peaks. Ooh, um, okay. uh, so if you have not played it, I highly recommend it. It's it's done in episodic um, pieces. So it's set up like a television show. And he goes up there to because he's dealing with writer's block. And he brings his wife up there. And they have a cabin next to the lake. And one night his wife goes missing. And she is consumed by a darkness, a force that's out there. And he it basically passes out, gets overcome by the darkness, passes out. Then his wife's gone. The cabin he was staying in is gone, doesn't exist anymore. And he spends the entire game trying to find his wife. And funny enough, there is pages scattered around, scattered around of his own novel that he does not remember writing. And he's essentially trapped in the novel, uh, his own novel. And there's been a couple scenes where he, and that was one in particular that I remember the most. He picks up a page, and he starts reading it. Um, as as Alan as Alan walks down uh, the the um the crowded path, uh, with the dark trees overhead, he hears the sound of a chainsaw behind him. And then you exit out of the, the thing, and then all of a sudden, you hear a fucking chainsaw behind you. Um, it was simple shit like that that created a great atmosphere. Has a phenomenal soundtrack of all things. And really, really great voice acting, um, a great twist at the end. It really, really is. Um, it captures a uh, an essence and a, and a horror and a thriller, and it's, it's also really, really fucking enjoyable. And also, the game mechanics are fantastic because you actually have to 
when you go against a, an enemy, you have to actually um, hit them with a flashlight um, to drain their power and then take a shotgun and take them out. That's, that's, uh, that's actually the game mechanics of it. And then you have to run from... Uh, you have flare guns, flashlights, and also you can run out of batteries and you have to conserve your batteries. And you also have to... Um, you have safe zones where you can run a generator um, to actually uh, keep lights. There's times that you run out of ammunition and run out of batteries and you just got to run to the next from generator to generator. And it puts you in this in this panic mode that really, um, really captures that whole scene. If you guys have not played it, I highly recommend it. Uh, we will put a trailers or clips of every one of our video games at the bottom of the list. Oh, Bre- Brandon's shaking Christ. his head on four shit. He's got to write down for links at the bottom of the so page. we have links for Dino but, Crisis, if we could find that. Oh, good guy. Who the hell knows if we'll find it? Well, you'll find it, but you'll have to pay a pretty penny for it on eBay. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, uh, so, so it, if you guys can go back and go play it again, highly recommend it to, any, uh, to you two gentlemen, and then obviously anybody that's listening, um, all 18, um, pl- please go back and play it. It really is. It's worth your time. It's worth your money. Um, now, now the big controversy and everything else is um, is Bioshock. Bioshock is is arguably one of the best written, best story of a video game uh, around. Arguably, there's the, there's there's things to be argued against it. There is, but. It, it, I've never had an existential crisis while playing a video game. I was gonna if you're gonna. Dude, I would like to hear you. I really want you to play Soma. I, do. I need to sit... Like, Fair if enough. you're saying this about Bioshock, you need to play Soma. That game will just... Be... Whole, yeah. So, the whole the whole basic story about Bioshock... Are you familiar with the story, Brennan? Not really. Okay, so it's... Uh, a, it, this, um, Bioshock is about... Know, there, there was a huge chunk of time in my life where I just fell out of video games fell out of video altogether. Games. And Bioshock was kind of during that time. It, Honestly, man, this is a video game that you, uh, that you would enjoy um, very, very much. I remember so. ads for it, the, um, and it looks like something I would like, but it's very you know, money. Movies and comics came first. I, I hear you. That's how I fell out of video games for I, a while. I hear you. The um, uh, the the basic story. It's very um, very very philosophical. Challenges you with a lot of complex ideas. Um, the the basic premise of the story is the game starts out with um in 1960 and you're a your main character who's a silent protagonist you don't you don't ever see his face um crashes in the middle of the atlantic ocean um in a plane and you're the only survivor of this particular plane crash and you you're swimming around in the middle of the atlantic and you see a giant structure in the middle of the ocean just fucking chilling there you know so you go up and it leads you down to an underwater city called rapture and within the first five minutes, you figure out what's going, you know, um, what the city was designed for. Essentially, a guy named Andrew Ryan wanted to develop an underwater city that is free of any kind of control or regulation. Like his whole quote was, you know, where the scientists would not be bound by petty morality. The government couldn't take your taxes. The, you know, the church couldn't take your money. You know, nobody, nobody can come in and fuck with what you want to do. And then when you get down there, you realize, I don't think it worked out. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I don't think it worked out all that much. Shit hit the fan pretty quickly, really hard. And I love, I love Zach. <laughs> like, like it's one of the. And you walk down, and you figure out that that you have a bunch of genetically altered junkies running around. Mm-hmm. 
Um, uh, and they're addicted to a thing called Atom, which provides them with basically powers. Yeah. And everything else. Lightning powers, telekinesis, all this other stuff. Fuck. And bees. Bees. And the only way you can... Not the bees. Like, Not the bees! Like, oh, you've been making that joke a lot. Um, uh, the, um, but the, and the only way you can get these are from little sisters. They're basically demon children. Um, like children of the corn shit. It, yeah, it kind of. You'd have to play. you got to see it. The, um, but they're protected by these things called big daddies. Which are the coolest part of the series. They, they really are the coolest part of the series. Which is why I love the second one so much. Because you are a big daddy in the second yes. one. But, the, it, but the whole thing about this is it challenges you with what would you do to survive? Would you give up your humanity to survive? Would you do unspeakable things to survive? Would you become addicted to, to basically crack and then kill children? Yeah, like, pretty, pretty much the way you increase your power, you need to get at them. And there's two ways you can do that. You can either save the little sisters, cure them of whatever the hell is controlling them. I'm not sure the exact details that go into that. But it cures them and, you know, they're happy little girls. They run off and, you know, all yeah. that happy dippy stuff. Or you can completely harvest the little munchkins and just get a whole spike of powers and, you know, it's the evil way to go. So. Pretty much. You won't get as much power as you could and everything else if you rescue them. If you have little sisters who you consider evil, you will guarantee take the evil path. So yeah, for sure. So which I'm sure I know exactly what Zach did. Mm-hmm. Um, the but um, uh, but you, it's a really great on on creating atmosphere down there. You really realize how fucked everything really went. Um, and actually, the cool part about it is too, you can also get audio recordings from people. You pick up audio recordings and you can hear about people's stories. And everything else, and what happened to them, and you can kind of piece together. Find me. Um, you can probably piece together what happened with this whole situation, and what really went wrong. And there's a there's there is a plot. I won't spoil it for you because it it really is worth your time to play. Um, however, where the horror aspect comes in, and everything else, and there's, there's a lot. And there's probably some stuff that Zach even forgot about. Um, the the splicers are terrifying. Mm. The the crackhead splicers are are, are pretty terrifying. The graphics really took me... Like, two of the main things that really took me out of the game was how unrealistic people look. Like, people are supposed to look ugly, yes. But they look fucking terrible. Like, those models looked god-awful. And another thing that took me out of it... It's it's literally like the first time you see a big daddy, he jumps down from the ceiling, I think. Either that or he busts through a wall, whatever. Jump he down. shoves his drill into a guy. Clean through. Removes it. There's no hole. There's no bodily damage. That really bugged the living hell out of me. I'm just like, he, this big hulking badass just subbed this giant drill through this guy's chest cavity. I don't, I don't remember that particular thing. Come on, guys. I, I, you know, I, the, like, the, the, it's, the, the little the, minor things just really took the whole, like, it was still a fun game to play and it had a great story, but little graphical things, like, I'm just like, oh, the two, this, the two yeah. things that, that stuck out to me the most when it comes to the aspect of being a thriller and being, um, Scary, um, where one one was a simple one, where the where you find Andrew Ryan's apartment with a ten with a tennis shooter and everything else. I remember I was cleaning out a little like a, a cubby or whatever, and I turn around. I'm pretty sure it was a game glitch. It might have been a game glitch. It might have been a you know on purpose. I turned around. There's a dude right here, scared the fuck out of me and everything else. That was one of those times when I unloaded a shotgun. You know, like. Far more. One of the every gamer knows that moment when you use way too much ammunition 
for the situation that you're in, but because you're scared shitless, you use it anyway. Um, everybody's shaking their head with that. And the other the other thing too was the first boss. Was the was the surgeon the, yeah. the sergeant and everything else. There's Talk a, about the whole silhouette scene. The, there's yeah, there's a, there's a um uh, the first boss that you face, and it's actually kind of cool. They have traditional like mid level bosses that you go against, mm-hmm. and one of them is a sergeant. And when you uh, when you finally go up to see him and everything else, you you go you look through a glass window and it is like a viewing room for operations, and then about. 10 feet in front of you, there's actually a dude with an operating table. And he's operating on some girl who's beyond dead. Um, and, he, and he's like, don't worry, I'll make you pretty. I'll change you back. It's It'll be okay. He's like, and he and he, he looks up a little bit. And he's like, shh, someone's here. Lights go out right over there. And then the lights go back up two seconds. Motherfucker's gone. And I'm like, oh, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? He's hiding somewhere in here, and then you gotta go, and then you gotta go deal with it, and then he hangs from the ceiling. But it, you know. I mean, here's the thing: you are w- very well equipped in that game, and games not, are not, your, not early on. I would say you were. No. Like you start off pretty decently equipped. Like you get a decent, like your gun is okay. Your I mean, you get that. You get you the get wrench. Powers. You get the wrench and the and the powers at the very beginning. Yeah, but you get your shotgun pretty early on, though. When when you get later towards the game, you're absolutely correct. You're just wasting ammo at the at the end of the game because yeah, you build gonna... you build up to a a huge stockpile of ammunition. Like um, playing the like if you're playing the game on the hardest difficulty, sure, but nobody's gonna jump directly into hard mode. They're gonna start off on medium like normal people, and it's like there was never really that sense of dread for me. Like I was never on the edge of my seat, just like holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Like there like, like that's kind of what puts the game into a horror genre for me. It's like when I'm just like. Holy shit, this is scary. What the fuck? What the fuck? And it's just like, am I going to die? Am I actually going to die? Because I'm not properly equipped enough or prepared enough. Like, Resident Evil did that pretty well. At least two. Two and up. I still say one. One is not a horror game. One is... That game was ridiculous. How could nobody... The zombies look like clowns. (laughs) And nobody could figure out how to pull your pistol out and actually fire at somebody. (laughs) The zombies were slow. They were slow for a reason. Because it would take you ten minutes to figure out how to fucking put your pistol out. And I'm not bitter, but I'm still kind of bitter about that bullshit. (laughs) Also, just... The lines of... (laughs) You were almost turned into a Jill sandwich. uh, the, how could you? How could anybody take this game seriously? It was, uh, I don't know. The um, the second one was a vast improvement, but holy crap! The um, uh, and, and I get what you're saying, Zach. And, and and yeah, and there are a few games that like put me in that in that mode. But you know, I also was putting in the factor of of story quality and, and everything else yeah. as well. And those were my two games for best of that genre um, has to offer with story and with 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 thrill. Um, and I also remember I had distinct memories of that. And honestly, the, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Those, those the game definitely had story. That I cannot take away from it. The game had story. The game had atmosphere. One of the best. It's just you know, visuals were just very disappointing, especially I, for the time because I know we had the technology to add gore graphics. Where if a big daddy shoves a drill through your chest, there should be a nice. Weird sloshy I hole. I, I don't remember that. I don't remember that scene. So you know, I have to. I'll have to go the, back. This and was play. back in the day where I cared more about visually murdering and maiming people as violently as possible, and the AKA less sad manhunt. Uh, 
the uh, Rockstar should really should really really should consider making a part three to that. Rockstar, just please make Manhunt VR. Do it for PlayStation or PC. I don't care. Whatever system you put it on, I will. No, don't do PlayStation. They're censoring shit. PC, Steam. The um uh, anyway um uh, so yeah, but those are my two picks though. Um, factoring in you know story quality and the genre itself um, and everything else, highly recommend both of those games. Um, uh, the um, and I sure as shit. Rec- I've never played um, your first game, Dino Crisis. Dino Crisis, but I sure as shit recommend Dead Space. That's a great, yeah. great game and story wise and atmosphere and core all together. Um, uh, I recently did another playthrough of Dead Space a few months back, like during the Steam Winter Sale. I picked it up on Steam. It it, it holds up still. It holds up super well. Like that game. Oh my god, it's phenomenal. The uh, anybody who hasn't played it, fully recommend it, especially if you're into horror games. You will have one hell of a time. I guarantee it. Fair enough. So, all right, Mr. B-Man. All right, so... This is going to be interesting. Yeah, considering that there's a whole chunk of my life where I wasn't a gamer, and even when I was into video games, I only had my... I liked the video games I liked, essentially. Okay. Um, And I've played a little bit of Dead Space and liked what I saw of it. Um, I remember my brother tried to get me into Last of Us, I think it was. Last what, of what, a- what, what's the one with, like, the, they're not zombies, like, this disease that creates this weird, like, they can't see anything. Yeah, Last of Us. Last of, that, so that is Yeah, Last with of the, Us. the fungus zombies, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I never really got into that one. It just seemed... It's not a horror game, but it is a game with a really damn good story. Yeah, I mean, my friend Jake who used to be my roommate he described Last of Us as the Oscar bait of video games it, if yeah, I would give um, it an Oscar that which, one is absolutely deserving uh, I do have Jake is going to circle back to my main horror video game I'm going to be talking about um, and then I also remember trying to get into Resident Evil 4 back in the day but it just didn't do anything for me Resident I, Evil. I know I'm in the minority on that but it just didn't do anything for me Resident Evil 4 um, was a good it was a great very fun game but that's where the series really started falling off of the horror bit like mm-hmm. it still had elements of horror in there but you could really tell this is where the series started to change and go more towards the action Resident Evil 5 just said fuck it we're going Chris fuck Boulder's Redfield action and we're not giving a damn wow that's a reference and then there was a time when I was visiting home and my brother and our friend Nate had me play Outlast beautiful beautiful game which i don't remember much of it i just vaguely remember being an investigative reporter going through an asylum or something like that and i remember thinking it was all right um my brother and our friend talked about how it scared them quite a bit but didn't really scare me so there hasn't been yes Zach. can i talk about it uh sure okay so i last you play as this investigative reporter investigating this asylum when you get there, everything's going to shit. You see bodies mangled, a, a freaking SWAT officer stuck on a pike, there's heads laying oh, yeah. everywhere. This game does not hold back. It does not take censorship into consideration. It reminds me of The Suffering back in the day. Suffering was great. But no, this this game takes visual gore and fucked upness to a whole new level. Uh, two of the main enemies in this game, they're weird, and they somewhat become allies. I, I don't know. They're, they're really strange people. They're these... Old naked dudes, their dicks are just hanging out and they're chasing you with machetes and they're always like, Come here, we're following you. It's like you have to use your camera. The night vision on your camera is a light source, and you have very limited battery with that thing, so you gotta be very careful. You have no way to defend yourself. Everyone there is trying to kill you. There's this real big asshole named what was his name? Alan Walker or something like that. 
Big, bulky, Hulk fleshing-looking motherfucker. Veteran from Iraq, high kill count or something like that. Locked up in this asylum, and he's just chasing you, trying to screw with you the whole time. Violent, gory. If you love really fucked up things, it's great. There's... Oh, you, you, just, just, just play it. It's... it's the, you'll, you, you'll notice a lot of horror video games start with that same plot. Main character uh, goes somewhere to do something, and and the shits hit the fan. Like they, 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 that A plus B equals C kind of kind of formula with different covers on it. I'm just saying the visuals in these games, both one expansion and two, are really messed up. If you can handle nudity and gore, probably not for you. But mm. if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you can. Fair enough, fair enough. So before I go into my pick of horror games, just out of curiosity, have either of you ever played any of the Clock Tower or Fatal Frame games? I, I've never played them, but I remember seeing like screen grabs and I, videos I, I, and I, the aesthetic of them just really always kind of spoke to me, but I never got the chance to play any of them. I so. have I have not. Um, I'm, I just, I'm assuming Zach has. I just want to point out, you are the second person I've ever met that actually knows what the Clock Tower series is. In fact, it recently got a spiritual successor on the Vita, which is funny because that system is pretty much dead and hasn't had a new game in years. But yeah, uh, wow, I, I'm surprised. That's actually kind of cool. I, I've met plenty of people who've seen Fatal Frame. That one's eh. Never really got into that one, but Clock Tower, wow! The Clock Tower actually makes a lot of lists for like top 10 scariest video games of all hmm. time. The um, it does make a lot of lists. I'm not as familiar with the uh, with the plot, but you know, uh, but the uh, you know, I've, it's made a lot of lists. So, so I want to hear you uh, too. Though my pick for horror game is definitely going to be the Odd Man Out of all of our lists because this one isn't really hardcore or scary or bloody. Uh, it definitely falls into the fun, goofy horror. Um, so while I was going through college, my roommate at the time, Jake, he had this huge duffel bag with a Super Nintendo in it and all of his oh, games. Oh, God. You know where I'm going, Zach. Oh, I can't wait. And there was one game in particular that we just absolutely loved, and that was the arcade-style Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Oh, my God. Everybody's face palming right now. Like, really? It is a fun game made by Lucas Arts, by the way. Yeah, I know it's um, a fun game, but still, I'm, horror. Uh, you, oh come you, on! You, you had what you had back then. That's... <laughs> you have freaking muscular Jason Mask people. You have the Tremors. We had Splatterhouse for that. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, like, just, did nobody play Splatterhouse? Apparently not. God damn it! No, no, not no, this no, guy. No, no, nobody plays Splatterhouse. <laughs> Shut up! Splatterhouse was awesome. It looks cool. <laughs> I wanted to play it, but I never play it. But yeah, so basically in Zombies Ate My Neighbors, you, or you can do co-op with a friend, uh, play these neighborhood kids and you just go around collecting these different weapons, killing different monsters that are references to like big horror movies. You do have like the blobs, you do have mummies, you have vampires, you have a giant baby as one of the bosses, um, you have killer dolls. <laughs> Uh, killer plants, the trimmers worms, um, like it's just a, it's awesome. It's, it's a mismatch of all yeah, kinds of crazy. It's a monster crap. mash. It's quite a graveyard smash. 
I, um, oh, for the love of all things unholy. The, uh, <laughs> please get Brandon hates in the comment section. Jesus Christ. You can write that on your list, too. Nobody can hate me. <laughs> but we'll put the link to that song in the description for anybody who wants that. <laughs> I, yeah, add that to your list, asshole. <laughs> the Monster Mash is a great song, and for Simpsons fans like me, oh. it's an excellent Valentine's Day. Songs. Jesus Christ! Fair enough. The uh, but I, I remember that game. I remember I remember playing it, um, and then I discovered Turok, and I'm like, I'm good. I, I still play Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Turok it's... was the game where everyone in my family realized, huh? He likes blood a little too much. The, well, it was the first opportunity for them to and know. We're gonna do nothing about it. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I would literally sit there slashing the dinosaurs and creatures, just watching the blood fly out of them with the biggest smile on my face, and it's like. And now, and, and now he hangs out with us. Yeah. The um uh, um uh, so, you know what's so funny? It, 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 the, uh, with the exception of that, we didn't we didn't talk about a single fucking zombie uh, zombie game at all. Zombie games are basic. The uh, you know what? No, one wasn't, and one I liked a lot was Dead Rising. The first one. Well, de- de- okay, Dead Rising's just hilarious fun. It is. It, it, it is. It, you know what? It's a lot of things. It's it, it had everything. Like, it, had, I, th- it had hilarious fun. It had tension and it had horror. It had action. It had actually a little bit of good drama. The dude, no, the v, the the Vietnam guy who owned the hardware store. I do not remember him. Yeah, that 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 was a hard that was a hard fucking uh, ending cutscene. The um uh, the um, you know dude, I used to cheat all the time in fucking Dead Rising. I it, remember remember that um remember the three uh, criminals that had the um the the, hum- the freaking jeep that Humvee. Didn't. I used Didn't. I used to steal that and everything else. when I when I killed them and everything else. I would drive up to the other end of the mall where the gun shop is and I would take the turret off of there and I would go up to, to the gun store and fucking kill the guy early and everything else before everybody else did. The uh, Which, by the way, there's a if you wait a day, that guy's already gone from the gun store. The um, uh, little, little fact. But I used to cheat all the time. It was I could always go back there. It was like an infinite supply of, uh, of shotguns. Why would I not want to have that place open for me? I, I just love running around with a Sephbot head just murdering shit. Oh my god, dude. All the costumes and shit like that and all the ridiculous shit you could get. Oh, Especially it, in the second one. The second one, you can get really freaking ridiculous. Oh yeah, you duct tape all kinds of shit together and everything else. You get, like The moment I figured out I can make a lightsaber, I just went to town. I'm like, yes! <laughs> oh, dude. We, uh, that, game, that game was... The, you know what? That game had so much shit going for it. It was five video games in one. It really was. Again, like I said, drama, horror, um, comedy, free roam, do whatever the fuck you want yep. and everything else. You you don't have to follow the, the story. I knew what it was. Well, you kind of had to. I mean, you, did, you, you didn't, you didn't. If, that was my biggest pet peeve with the games. I think they finally took that out in the third one, but it's like you had a limited amount of time. I'm like, this is freaking annoying. And then you'd... You'd continue with all, like, your progress with your character and everything like that, but you'd have to restart, like, all the story stuff. Like, you'd have to go resave this guy so you have access to this, so on and so forth. And that kind of annoyed me. I just wanted a mode where you could just freely go around and kill shit, which they later added, thankfully, which was awesome. The, um, uh, you know, I, you know what, I, I think, well, the first play around with that timer 
a, a really did make a difference about how you treated the story. Oh, that, it's true, and it was an interesting mechanic and everything like that. But it also just kind of made doing other things just like God damn it! Now I gotta go do this. Did you Did you finish the story all the way through? Oh yeah, I platinumed all of those. The, games. the um uh, yeah, oh my god, man. Actually, you know what though? It had a really good, you know, a really good stuff. Like it was just, it was a really really good story. It had a really good stuff going for it. And yes, like you said, it knew exactly what the fuck it yeah. was. Like, you know, like, oh, you guys have serious zombie movies? We're going to let our, our main character use a lawnmower to clear out the front of the, the front area of a mall. You literally put a lawnmower on your head and you just start headbanging zombies. Oh, yeah. It, it, like, if the lawnmower runs out of gas, just take the lawnmower and throw it at people. <laughs> like, no, no, no. What, one thing me and my buddies, because you can play the second one to call it, there's these little pink tricycles you can get on. Oh, my God. And you could just do races along what is the equivalent of the Vegas Strip. And we would just do these little races down, just like, and every time you hit a zombie, they'd go flying. Dude, you can literally go into a record store and reenact the scene from Shaun of the Dead, where you can take the records and throw them at fucking zombies. It was fucking great. Brendan's so underimpressed. He's like, yeah, not really. Oh no, just hook a whole bunch of amps up to a guitar and just start playing heavy metal there. Yeah, and then heads just explode. It's just. Cue Slayer in the background when you're doing that. You'll just have one hell of a time. Indeed. It's good times. Good times. Oh, absolutely. The, uh, so... Yeah, there are really great zombie games out there, but there are very, very few that I would actually consider true horrifying experiences. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Resident Evil's one of the very few, especially the... The remake of the second one, phenomenal game. Nobody's played that one yet? You should. That one did everything very well. For sure. The, uh, so yeah, that definitely inc- concludes our, our video game section. <laughs> Brandon's like, ah, this is the um, uh, all right. So I'm gonna do my my question, and we'll talk about production stuff and anything else. Um, I think this is super important um, uh, to the movies that we were talking about earlier. Are remakes remakes and reboots and all this shit? Are they, is that shit really necessary? The um, I, how I phrase that sentence, you could already kind of hear where my answer is at, but. You know, I wanted to open it up to you two guys and and see what you guys' thoughts are on reboots and remakes. For me, it depends on the movie. All right. There are movies out there that, like with Pet Cemetery, yeah. I never liked the original. Um, I thought it was a very miscast movie. I thought it really had no tone to it. Um, it just. I watched it one and a quarter times. Like I watched it once in college. And then when I was home between ships, I tried watching it again. It's like I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I just thought it was terrible. So I just thought it could have used a remake because there are a lot of things that could be improved. And so when they announced that they were remaking it, I was very for it. Um, and then of course there are remakes in the past. Like one of your favorite horror movies, one of my favorite horror movies, and Zach, I think it's one of your favorites as well. Is a remake, and that's the thing. So my movies have been being movies have been remade long before today. The Blob. The Blob is yeah. one of my favorites. Uh, the, David Cronenberg's The Fly, also a remake. Um, the nineteen seventy eight Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which we watched with Wes. Yeah. That we were all three of us were dead tired that day. No but, fault to the movie. It's a no. great movie, but yeah, we were just freaking exhausted we were, for reasons I cannot I can't remember, remember why. But I remember the two of you really liking that one too, and that's yeah. a remake. Um, I even think the 1990 Tom Zavini directed Night of the Living Dead is actually better than the George Romero original Night of the Living Dead. Uh, 
Romero's Night of the Living Dead deserves its spot in horror history. Nothing will ever take that away from it. But, and I'm, I'm not saying this as a pun, there's a lot of dead air in that movie. Mm. Oh! You, you could easily edit the original Night of the Living Dead down to like maybe half of its length. Runtime, yeah. Um, but the Tom Savini remake I thought was superior in almost every way. I really liked the American remake of The Ring. Um, unfortunately, that did open the door for the American remakes of The Grudge and Dark Water, which we won't talk about those. Dark Water? I don't even remember Dark Water. What the hell is Dark Water? We'll talk about it later. Oh, <laughs> yeah. boy. It's, oh, yeah. it's really not worth talking about. Okay, so, right okay, we'll, we'll talk about um, it later, but it's not worth talking about. Got it. Soup! Like, it's... So, so there are movies that... Yeah, yeah, the, the Ring had, like, the... Japanese original Ringu was really more uh, leaned, I thought, more into the investigative reporter aspect of it, whereas the American remake really just took the horror aspect and ran with it. Turn these speakers um, to 11. Both movies are worth watching for different reasons. Uh, it's the same story told in two drastically different ways, and I like both of them because the remake knew what to bring to an American audience and it worked. Less so on this one, but Let Me In, the vampire movie, uh, which is a remake of the Swedish vampire movie Let the Right One In. Let the Right One In is definitely a superior movie. Um, Let Me In is really... doesn't really make a whole lot of changes to the story, but it's still a pretty decently made remake. Um, Zach, you really like the Evil Dead remake. Yes. Like, it's... You think it's superior to the original? Well, really... I'm not going to say it's superior. I like it for many different reasons than I like the original. Like, I love the remake of Evil Dead just because it's very visually appealing. With all, The gore is done super well. And if you do gore very well in a movie and just get a basic storyline across, I will love it. You know, visuals yeah. mean a lot to me. Well, so. and also, you know, t- what, 30 years of, of uh, visual effects improvement? Exactly. Else is, is a, a lot. Yeah. So I really love the gore in that movie. The story is, it's cool and everything, but I don't think it should be called Evil Dead. Because Evil, like... Evil e- Dead... Evil Dead did not the, need to be The name, remade. you expect a certain amount of goofiness with it. Exactly. And you also expect Ash. Yeah. yeah. Bruce yeah. Campbell. Ash, like, you can't Ash, have Evil yeah. Dead without Ash. So, I was expecting not to like it, at least, I wasn't expecting to love it, is what I'm saying. I expected, okay, I'll at least come out partially entertained, because like in the trailers, you see some of those gore in it, holy crap, that looks beautiful. So, I figured I was going to like it. I didn't think I was going to love it. But I love the movies for two totally different reasons, and it probably should have changed its name. Yeah. Okay. We all knew what it would, we all would have known what it's basing itself off of. But at the very, but at the same call, time, call it the, uh, the uh, you know the Necronomicon. Yeah, yeah, that would I, I, that would have been perfect. Which that would be an H.P. Lovecraft thing, um, but that's a whole other topic for another day. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, and then there are some other remakes I really like. Um, in nineteen seventy nine, uh, Werner Herzog remade the nineteen twenty two silent vampire movie Nosferatu, and mm. I actually thought Herzog's version was better. The original silent version is excellent for its time, and it's still an excellent movie today, but Herzog's remake just creeps under your skin in a way that a silent movie can't. 
Um, not taking anything away from the silent original. Uh, like I thought the Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera is still one of the best horror movies out there. Um, which Phantom of the Opera, that one's been retold how many times? Uh, Hundreds. Still being, still being retold. Yeah. Go to, uh, go to any... Piranha, the remake of that. Um, the 2010 3D one, not the made-for-TV Mila Kunis one. Those were um, enjoyable for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, but it's like <laughs> uh, updating... I, I love yeah. Joe Dante's original Piranha, but it makes sense to update that with... But that was a Roger Corman low-budget thing. Yeah. Uh, so it is interesting to see a higher-budget Piranha movie... And it kind of makes sense to have it take place during spring break. That was a nice aesthetic choice that you just don't get anywhere else. You have really amazing visuals that you could not get at the time period the original one was Exactly. Done. Like the gore in that movie was beautiful. And then I, I know I'm in the minority on this one, but I also enjoy the Fright Night remake. I, I like both the original and the remake. To be fair, um, you also just like Fright Night. Yeah. And I, I don't like... I actually never saw the sequels. Justin keeps recommending Fright Night 2 to me. He's the only person who ever has. He's like, I'll probably watch it at some point. But as far as the original Fright Night and the remake of Fright Night go, I enjoy both. And I thought the updates the remake made made sense for bringing it into 2011. Um, so for me, it's all about, is there are there improvements to be made or is there something that makes a few tweaks of story more relevant to today? Or are you just doing this for the sake of doing this? For the for the cash grab for the name? Which, that brings me into my next point. There are remakes that are garbage. Um, I was, I, and the, the, the ones that stick out the most for me are the um, Friday the 13th. And Nightmare on Elm Street. And Nightmare on Elm Street remakes in, their, in the mid-2000s. Those I are actually the ones have that, a lot to say which, about those. With the Nightmare on Elm Street remake especially, it's like... We could do things with special effects and visual effects today that we couldn't do in 1984, between ni- between 1984 and 1994 when the original series was made. Um, but there wasn't a single creative dream sequence in the remake at all. I don't remember a single dream sequence. I remember one scene in that entire movie. I actually remember two scenes. One because a friend of mine's actually in it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in the background because they shot that in Algonquin. Yeah. Hmm. The um uh, and then the um uh, in the background I could see one of my friends in the two. I remember the whole thing with um with her friend in the body bag, like okay. in a dream sequence and everything else, where where she's literally being dragged across the hall by nothing, a ghost or you know by Freddy, and then she unzips herself and everything else and walks out. Like that's it. That's the only thing I remember about that. That's from the original. But yeah, the, but um, the, but yeah. they did it in the um, remake as well. And, but then in the remake, it's you also have Freddie telling that one kid, uh, you know, the brain stays alive for ten seconds after the heart stops or something like that. That means you and I still have ten seconds to play. They do nothing with that. <laughs> they <laughs> just that is a really cool concept. They do nothing with it. Honestly, there's only one cool scene in that movie that's actually like, holy shit, that was dark. Freddie just appears. The kid starts screaming, and it's the only good line in the movie, and Freddy just goes, why are you screaming? I haven't even cut you yet. Mm. That's a really good line, but the movie is fucking terrible. The cast, with the exception of the guy who plays Freddy, because he's the only one who seemed to give a damn and try... Well, Jack Earl Haley is an excellent actor. Yeah, exactly. was terrible. Rooney Mara never shows one piece of emotion throughout that entire damn movie. 
All she does is stare blankly. Oh, hi. How does how does Freddy even have any power over her? Fr Freddy bases all his everything on fear. She shows no fear. She should be God to him. God, God, she would, and, and she would do wonderful in it. She would just, <laughs> just, just fucking like, glide through that. There are so many horror characters who couldn't do a damn thing to her, but it's just like, no, nope, because, you know, we just don't get... And another thing. Dude, Pennywise would be so pissed. <laughs> what? I can't do anything with this bitch. I can't. But, but here's another problem. With some, there's just some things you cannot remake just because of the characters who, like the actors who played them. Oh, Robert, you will Robert, never. Robert England was. Oh, I, that that leads into another one I have to talk about. I, I was gonna say like, two characters you're never gonna replace: Doug Bradley for Pinhead, and yeah. Robert England for Freddy. Those are two. You can oh. try. Oh. You you will try for yeah. all eternity. You will. Those two characters are cemented into those two roles. Now here's the thing. At least. With the Hellraiser series, Pinhead is a mantle that could be passed down. At least if you read some of the comics and stuff. There are actually a lot of interesting things you could do with the Hellraiser universe. Nobody wants to and fucking just do the it though. In general. Yeah, exactly. There's you don't so, have to do, you don't have to do Pinhead. Yeah, you don't. There's so you know many more about Hellraiser than I do. Oh yeah, so. there's hundreds of Cenobites that you could do really cool stuff with. But if you really want to go with the whole like Hell Priest route and everything like that. Make what's her name Pinhead like she is in the comics. There's so much cool stuff you could do there, especially with you know Doug Bradley's getting old. He probably doesn't want to do that role anymore. I think he said he'd be willing to do one more movie, and that would be a good idea if for the, the movie. Is good. Like there is that one cash grab Hellraiser that he turned down because he said the script's not good. This isn't. That no. was probably the found footage one, and yeah. that movie was. I'm also that, that was insultingly terrible. I'm also thinking about the uh, the, the the other remake too, the, the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one that was so so fucking bad. Which one? There, you gotta, the, the, there's the, so the, many the, Texas. The, the, the mid 2000s one. 2003 with uh, yeah. was it Jessica Biel? Yeah. And, and, um, no, I, I think it, I think it might have been that one, or it might have been one that was a little bit later. I was gonna say the one with uh, what's his name, uh, Arlie. Arlie Ermey. Yeah. The drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Or you talking about the one that came out just. A, like there's one that happened. Th there's one really that happened just a couple years ago. I still haven't seen three D. Yes, this one. Yes, not a remake. It is a sequel to the original. Oh. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is another problem. You keep remaking remakes. Yeah, that that is a huge problem. Fucking fucking on timeline. Like here, you know, hold up, hold up, Brandon. Mm. Explain Halloween two. <laughs> No, 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 Mark, Mark. Oh, just just let him do it. Let him do it. Just go I, I and don't, say I it. don't know how I can do this over audio, but I'm going to try. Just, just... So we start with Halloween. Or you know what? Better yet, just say what's the sequel to the sequel of what. Okay, so you start with Halloween, the original. Alright? Then you have Halloween 2, which is a direct sequel to Halloween. Alright? Then you have Halloween 3, which takes place in its own separate universe. So that's outside of the timeline. Okay? Then you have Halloween 4, which picks up, I believe, 10 years after Halloween 2. Halloween 4 goes into Halloween 5, which goes into Halloween 6, Halloween Curse of Michael Myers. All right. So, so far, you have a pretty straightforward timeline with the exception of Halloween 3, which is its own thing outside of timeline. But then you have Halloween H2O, which retcons everything that happened in 4, 5, and 6. So now instead of going 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, you're going 1, 2, 7, and then Halloween Resurrection, which follows Halloween H2O. I believe it picks up um, 
right after Halloween H2O. Uh, so that's going one, two, seven, eight. Then Rob Zombie did I his was remake. Waiting wait for him. So, which is a complete remake of the original, which I could not stand his two movies. Um, so ha- Rob Zombie's Halloween is his own thing, and then Rob Zombie's Halloween Two follows that. So now we have, I believe, four timelines going. We have one, two, four, five, six. One, two, seven, eight. Three as his own thing. Then the zombie movies as their own thing. Then last year we finally got David Gordon Green's Halloween, which was actually pretty downright decent. It was the best but Halloween that movie to date. Everything except for the first movie. So that creates a new timeline that goes one, then the new movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the um, oh my god. So I was and, and then. If I, if you ever want me to talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre timeline, we, we literally need to do a video of that with me at a corkboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will be filming that spoof when I finally get Brandon this corkboard. So it's, it's like, it's like, it's da- it's like Doc works. trying to explain what the fuck happened in Back to the Future 2. The, the um... Uh, no, 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 all I... Dude, dude I... I <laughs> Texas Chainsaw 3 was pretty much summed up amazingly by a stand-up comedian. And Which I, one? Um, the 3D one okay. and everything else pretty much summed up you know and everything else uh, this guy's like super uh, uh, movies are super uh, unrealistic New Testament Chainsaw Massacre movie uh, came out there's a scene where he's terrorizing the Texas State Fair I call BS I on that. that everyone in Texas has a gun he'd make it three feet into, into the park before he's blown away <laughs> uh, what's that a guy with a chainsaw gun cocks Finally, <laughs> <laughs> the, and, and then he he continues says I believe I believe if it was in the Oregon State Fair he could run around there for days sawing up people no problem they would even uh, um, uh, they wouldn't even run they'd be like well he's entitled to his opinion <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much t- that? T- I, I, dude I forgot this guy's name um I, the uh, I'll, I'll look up his name. Um, we'll put his, we'll put a link to that one in the description as well. Brandon, get the list. Um, Paul uh, Paul Sh- uh, Schaefer or um, uh, Sherford. The um, uh, but uh, but yeah, that pretty much sums up uh, Texas Chainsaw 3D for me. The um, uh, you really got to think your horror movies through if you're putting it in Texas. Yeah. Oh, so much. I mean, the first one worked because they were in the middle of fucking nowhere, and they and he was killing hippie chicks, you know, hippie people on a road trip that are, don't live in Texas, yeah. nor do they have a gun. Like, that shit makes sense to me. It makes sense that, like, all this shit was going on in the backwoods. It was thought not, out. Not in, not in public. Then there are two bizarre remakes that I can think of. The first one being Gus Van Sant's, who's the director of Goodwill Hunting, by the way, mm. um, 1998 shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho. <laughs> Yeah, was it Vince Vaughn in that one? Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates. That is such a weird. Yeah. Let, let me bring up the cast here. Uh, How please. old was he when he did that? Who um, was it? That was a year after the Lost World. Yeah. Wow. So that was ninety. Yeah, ninety-seven. So yeah, he was there one year after the Lost World when he was skinny. So yeah. you have Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates, Anne Heche as Marion Crane. That was. Um, Janet Lee's character. Yeah, yeah. Julianne Moore as Lila Crane. <laughs> okay. Uh, Viggo Mortensen as Sam Loomis. Interesting. Which Viggo Mortensen was also in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. 
Um, William H. Macy, Robert Forster, Philip Baker dude, Hall. Dude, all I could think of, dude, is Brandon looking like what's his face from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with all the fucking like pieces <laughs> trying to explain text chats with a triangle. That's just, what it's gonna be. No, dude, we, we 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 already have the whole scenario thought out. Like we're gonna get him a wig with long, scraggly black hair. We're gonna give him I a don't suit. Have hair of my own. Exactly. We're gonna give him a tie that's just completely undone in wrestling. We're actually gonna put a cigarette in his hand so he just. I finally figured it out. <laughs> It's going to be a scene that makes no sense until you look at the corkboard, and even then you're still utterly confused. Dude, or it looks like Channing Tatum when he's on fucking drugs in 21 Jump Street. <laughs> <laughs> if A plus B equals C, and if, the, and if the DeLorean needs 88 miles an hour to go to, to work for the flux capacitor, and boom! But no, it's literally shot for shot, and they even try to time it so that the shots would last the same amount of time oh as in the God. original. That is so fucking weird. It's in color... And it just looks bizarre, and it feels bizarre, and it's not worth <laughs> just, watching. Just watch it, like, I, I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it, yeah, and it's, and I believe Van Sant said he did it as an experiment, because um, it's something about how um, you can make the same movie twice in two different times, but you will never, you will never replicate the same result. Well, no. So basically he made a Psycho remake to explain why you can never make a Psycho remake. To answer a question that we all knew the answer to. Yes. Pretty much. You're just an asshole at that point. <laughs> <laughs> You're just an asshole. And Brandon's like, I'm pretty hard-pressed to disagree with you right now. Can't. Yeah, <laughs> and I, and this is coming from somebody who loves Goodwill Hunting, loves it. Really, love Goodwill Hunting. Oh, so, okay, okay, it's a um, great movie. I don't love Psycho though. I don't love his remake of Psycho though. Really, uh, I, 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 I'm the original. Of course, is there the anybody who likes that movie? The remake? Yeah. No. Okay then. Um, Kellen knows what the hell his reviews are. In fact, I believe when Watch Mojo did their top ten miscast. In movie history list, Norman Bates was number two. Norman Bates, being played by Vince Vaughn, was either number two or number one. I, I believe was he was. Say, I believe he was number two. I was going to say, what the hell is number one if he's number two? John Wayne as Genghis Khan. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is something. Yeah. That was in the... in the in the immortal worlds of an actor, man. Sometimes a paycheck is a fucking paycheck, uh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> okay. there's another bizarre remake. I would along... love to see how that would play out by today's standards. There's another bizarre. It would remake not work well <laughs> along the same lines. It's not a shot-for-shot shot remake, but they did use the same script as the original, and that was the remake for Cabin Fever. That just reminds me. So you know how Kevin Smith is rebooting Jay and Silent Bob? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And he literally just said in an interview, he this is all he's doing, erasing names and times and dates. That's it. And he's just updating it. He's literally changing Why? only that in the script. He's like, we're just going to shoot it in modern times and see what happens. It's Kevin Smith and it's a comedy, so it could be good. I hope it's good because he hasn't done a comedy in forever and, you know, that's what he was fucking great at. I would love to just see where those dudes are at now. They own the yeah. fu- they own the fucking mart. I that, 
I've seen Clerks too. Like they own the mart. I don't know why the hell they wouldn't just. Like, I was gonna say that could be part of the joke. It could just be that. Like it, they might just put the word reboot on there just because you know to fuck with you. At least that's what I hope. You, but know, who knows? you know something funny? Here's here's something interesting about that. If they did update it to modern times, it kind of would still be a continuation because chances are they're all still talking about the same bullshit. Either way, I can see it working. And Jay Silent yeah. Bob was the best, com- is my favorite comedy to date. They, they, they're probably still talking about the, they're probably in the same fucking style. You know. Which Gus Vincent had a cameo in Jay and Silent Bob's Strike Back. You had Ben Affleck, <laughs> Matt Damon, and Gus Vincent. Yeah. You also had the West Craven. Oh, yeah, cameo. the West Craven that one. That was fun. Yeah, the West Craven one was great. The- um, God, that movie was great. But yeah, the Cabin Fever remake was, again, it's just bizarre to use the exact same script. It was strangely, le- the characters were strangely less annoying though, but the movie was more forgettable. God, fucking remakes. So, hey, no, I hear you. So I, so I guess we all come to the conclusion that, well, first of all, a shot for shot remake of Psycho is not a good idea. No. Um, uh, and no shit. I, and I think we've realized that it really just comes down to what, what is being added you know, to the story. Do you have anything to add to rebooting or remaking this, you know, to make it better than once what it once was or make it more enjoyable than what it once was? Yeah. Or are you just cashing in on the fucking name? Are, are there any times? movies that you guys think could be remade? Could? Or should be remade? Of like the some, t- some that you saw that you think, eh, this could have been better. It could use a remake. Uh, the only movie that the, there's a lot of movies that I th- think could have been a lot better, but yeah, I, I don't even yeah. think um, Max Payne. Okay, that's I, the, it, it's too late. It's you're that and it, I a few that I think could be remade. I think World War Z needs a remake. Hitman, considering that that had Hitman's already to do with had the book. two, and one was just like three years ago. The, uh, but uh, but yeah no I, I I think I think everybody's in the same consensus that that remakes and reboots and you need to have something to add to, to, to the story and something to add to what you you know you want to tell I would also concepts. like a remake of Hellboy yeah um uh, but um I wouldn't mind a, a remake of uh, Christine An- yeah. another one oh yeah. wait yeah. um I really did Christine, Christine have any no, and I really like the original. Yeah, but so it, it does have a weird kind of like main character shift, like halfway through. A little bit, a little that bit. Could have been handled a bit better. A little bit. Um, yeah, and it, it's like it's not screaming for a remake, but I won't. Like it would depend on who's doing it. Like if, for sure, if it's somebody who's actually going to take care with it, yes. Or if it's just going to be a studio cash grab, and hopefully with it, it chapter two of this year. And I know Pet Cemetery apparently didn't warm up to audiences the way that it did. So far, the only um, Stephen King movie that's really doing anything is it. Yeah. That's the only one. And then hopefully, it, they don't butcher the second. Honest, honestly, like if I was going to give it to anybody, I would hand it over to those guys, the the ones who did it. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a way of making something that could be very big, very intimate. They have a way of like it felt it felt very very um. um very intimate, very right. story based. But something to be careful about that is if we're just giving every Stephen King book to the same couple people. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna run into issues. Yeah. The um, uh, you know, I didn't hear you on that, but I there's certain movies I wouldn't give them though. I wouldn't give them like the Lollygaggers or anything like that. Um, one of like Mary Stevie yeah, Stevens more out there stuff. I wouldn't give them that. Um, uh, I wouldn't give them Lawnmower Man. 
Um, Again, Lawnmower Man is fine where it's at. You know that Lawnmower Man, the movie, has nothing to do with the actual short story. I know. I know. Uh, Which I've read the short story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nothing like the movie. In fact, Stephen King sued to have his name taken off. But um, cool. So, all right. So let's let's. uh, I'm gonna shift here a little bit. Shift some gears and uh, talk about the audition process. Um, I think that's super important. We can talk about living nightmares and talk about you know what goes into the process. Um, I, I I think I was kind of voted the one to talk about this because I've actually been on both sides um, of the table now. Um, you uh, have? I have. Um, uh, I, I act. Um, I know that's a big shock for everybody else out there, even though I told everybody. Do an impression, Mark. The, uh, oh, no. The, um, uh, oh, come on, you can do it a lot better than that. <laughs> I love having the voice of Mickey Mouse, man. I say, make him say awful shit. And everything. All right, kids, we're going to go over here and have some cocaine. Oh, boy. <laughs> the, um, uh, then we're going to go have some smack from, uh, from Pluto. And from Goofy. Oh, yup. Ready to go, kids. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> Mr. Mouse, when did you know that you were creating a monopoly against all your films? Oh, Monopoly's just a game. I'm trying to control the fucking world. Oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> the, um, uh, anyway. And with that, Disney's taken down our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather just take the, uh, oh, million dollar yeah. buyout. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was real funny. <laughs> or you could just give us Star Wars, you know. The, yeah, yeah, you know what? <laughs> yeah, Star give us Star Wars Beyond Saving Zack. I can it. save it. No, you <laughs> <laughs> You're like Ed Harris in the Abyss. Damn it! You've never given up on anything in your life. Resuscitate his wife. <laughs> I can fix this. <laughs> just give me Star Wars. But then again, he did succeed in that movie. So. Uh, See, I could save Star Wars. This trilogy is a completely fucked. The uh, uh. Uh, anyway, um, the uh, 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 so we are actually shooting episode two um, this weekend. Um, yeah. So which well, is, by the time you hear it, we'll have already shot it. Pretty much. Um, and at you'll, the time of recording, it's this weekend. At the time of release of this podcast, uh, we just wrapped last night. <laughs> And uh, we're extremely tired and kind of want to kill ourselves. Probably. Uh, So that being said, we actually had to go through the auditioning process uh, this time around for this episode. And actually, we got uh, quite a turnout. A lot of people. We were, I mean, we booked a space to hold the auditions for three hours and we needed to add an extra hour because we got so many hits. Yeah. Uh, It was, was, was wow. Really, really nice. Um, uh, We definitely appreciate, you know, all the support. Um, and, a- and actually, it's going to be even easier casting next time because we'll know, you know, we, we've already pl- yeah. planned out people that we didn't cast into other opportunities as well, which is, um, which the is pretty The advantage cool. of doing an anthology series. Yeah. Exactly. The, um, but um, it's, it's definitely a, an interesting process. Uh, um, uh, you know, obviously you need to book out a, um, another space. Um, book out a space, though. Don't do it in your apartment. Um, uh, you know, it, it's a lot more professional. I know it's cost money, but we get a really, I mean, we were, we rented out space for like what? $10 an hour, $15 an hour. An hour. Split I mean, between the three of us, it was nothing. It was nothing to, to rent out a space to actually come in. Um, uh, you know, the people there were more than accommodating. Actually, they let us in there an, a half an hour early. Um, big shout out to the Annoy- Annoyance Theater. If you need to rent space, um, they are more than accommodating. Um, uh, you, we'll add that to the links as well. Um, 
for people. Well, that's only for people in the Chicago area. Yeah, so. that is for people for the Chicago in the Chicago area, which I'm sure that that's the people who are listening. Um, so it, it's um, well, don't no. We have that one guy on the other end of the country. The one guy. So it's definitely some some. Thank big, you, one guy. Yeah, thank you, one guy. Some big tips uh, that I definitely wanted to mention is uh, obviously get in there early. Um, set uh, set up. Um, make sure the room is you know decently clean. I brought air freshener just to make sure that uh, the room was inviting. Um, ask one of your friends or one of your other uh, um, coworker, you know, coworkers, other people, collaborators. That, collaborators thank you. Uh, that's what I was looking for. To hang out in the front area to check people in, hand them their sides. It's a huge help to have somebody hanging out in the middle that isn't in the room. So that way, you know, there's no, you know. People don't feel odd. Um, uh, it, I know it's a strange thing to say, but when you're in the moment, you'll understand to have a separation between the people that are in that room and then the people that are outside in the audition area. Um, uh, obviously, um, which you, huge shout out to Wes for being. Thank our, you, Wes. Yeah, he he was very accommodating to all the actors that showed up, uh, handled the paperwork, getting filled out by each actor. Yeah. Um, and that way, it's like while we were talking in between auditions about how we felt, um, it's good to have somebody there so that the actor coming in for the next audition isn't standing there just like, uh, what do I do here? It just helps them have a peace of mind. Correct. Yeah. It's important to feel, make them feel welcome and everything else. I mean, they're, they're coming in. And you know, coming from an actor's perspective, there's a lot of anxiety with auditioning. It is a very flawed process. But it's the only, it's the only process we got. Yeah. Um. There's it's the only you never know what they're looking for. Correct. Like we had at time we don't even know. You know we don't yeah. quite know what we, we know what we don't want. You know, but people I, may surprise you. Yeah, and, th- and there were fantastic actors and actresses that auditioned for us, and it was like those were really good readings. But we know that that's not what we're looking for for this. Yeah, piece. and that that's the thing you got to take into consideration if you're an actor going into an audition. Sometimes you're just not the person you're looking for. It's not that you're horrible with your talent or anything like that. It's just you're just not the right person for that role. Yeah. So just don't take it personally. If you know you're a good actor, you probably are. At least I would hope. You should have confidence in yourself. That really does help. But, yeah, you're you're not going to get every role. It's, it's, it's just not going to happen. It's yeah. impossible. And the funny thing is that, that, uh, that being on this side of the table, the other side of the table, the producer's side and the casting side... It's very uh, practical, very pragmatic. It's very much of, oh, yeah, okay, so this person, I liked what they said here, I like what they said here. You know, maybe this is a little bit of a concern, but maybe we can work this out. The, um, you know, that person, you know, wouldn't be really good for this one, but maybe good for the next one. That's essentially the conversation that I've had with the, with the two of you about this. It's been very, yeah. very, you know, by the numbers. And then we, uh, we um, and then I'll get into the steps later, but it is very practical. There's nothing, you know, there's no harbor, you know, there shouldn't be any, you know, feelings towards anybody. Obviously, we've had a few situations that we won't forget. Um, we've had a few people that have said they're going to be there and they haven't. So, so, I mean, we, so we now, I mean, with the 20, 15, 20% of that and everything else, and also how we felt about the person in the room, were they nice, what, you know, did they have a good personality and everything else? Do you think that we can work with them? That's only about 20% of, of what this actually is. The other 80% is like I described. It's very, very pragmatic, very to the point. Um, uh, you know, and that's exactly how you should approach it 
for all of our filmmakers out there should approach the situation. It should be very by the numbers of how you feel, you know, going towards it. Go ahead, Zach. One thing I also recommend people doing is read the ad you are applying for. All their actors out there. Yeah, that's something yeah. a lot of people don't seem to do, like, because we had specific, like, the days we need yeah, to... Yeah, we were very specific about the days, and especially about the fact that this is... The, our three shooting days are actually shooting nights. Mid, um, ass like hours middle of the night, of the night yeah, from, into early morning. Yeah. From roughly um, about 10 to about 5, 10 p.m. to 5 in the morning. And then on top of it all, we're also shooting on a holiday one of those nights. Mm-hmm. And it's like people just didn't seem to read that. They'd say they're okay with that. And then last minute, it's out, like out of nowhere, I can't do it. it read the ad. Please read the ad. Yes, Look at the description. It will save you time and it will save... Last time we did actually have one actress audition for us, who I guess she didn't realize it was it. She forgot that it was the holiday, or she didn't realize it she was forgot holiday. it was the holiday. She it was and holiday, to be fair, Easter is but, not the most well-known holiday, so it's it's kind of to be expected. But she came in, she told and it us the situation. Every year. Yeah, she did change it. She did she did tell us the situation, but we still we, held an audition. Yeah, we for still her. let her read because this is an anthology series and, uh, and like we we discovered a whole new talent set that we're gonna be pretty much we're, we're, we're gonna for a good story to use our talents oh absolutely yeah yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities that that are out there and that's um so um the other tip too for all the filmmakers out there is um take take two minutes you know to talk with your other collaborators in the room um that are viewing these auditions with you um uh, to um uh, to go over what you just saw so you can all get on the same page yeah. and everything else because i'm sure the three of us were all looking at different things correct uh mark i mark and zach i got the vibe that you guys were looking more at the actual delivery of lines i was actually looking more at what they were doing with their body. when they weren't with their body language yeah. and what they were doing when they weren't speaking um, i i watch a lot for that because yeah. you know um you know acting is reacting the, um, you can't just be a statue or a Terminator. Well, depending on what role you're going yeah, for. Cor- but cor- yeah, correct. Um, and then the um, what was one of the things? Damn it, I totally forgot what I was going to say too. Good job. The oh, um, and actually something interesting is that I went in blind. Um, yeah. I did not see any of the the actors' reels, nor did I see any of their headshots. I was seeing people for the first time. And I highly recommend if you have if you have other collaborators, if you have um, you know, three like we do or four, have somebody that be in that's the, you know, that has no idea, has never seen any of these other people before, any of the reels, any of their work and everything else. And that'll give, you know, that'll add an honest perspective about the situation that you might have not had with everybody viewing all that information at once. Yeah. Um, uh, and also to film your auditions. Yep. Film, film, film your auditions. If you were, if you were in, if you were filming something, if this is a film or a short film or a series, you need to know how, what the hell these people look like on camera and how they perform on camera. Yeah, yes. and there are auditions that we had that we just looked at complete in a completely different way when we looked back at them on camera. Very much so. We we actually there were performances that we really liked in the audition room, and then when we view them on camera, we're like, wow, this is really flat. Yeah, and then there are some that we felt kind of okay about in person, but then when we rewatched it again on, on the video, we're, we're, we're like, just like, "What were we on? This is great." Yeah, so I mean, you know, how that, how that will, 
It will change. You'll you'll you will definitely go through two different audition processes: one in the room, and then one on camera. The one on camera is actually gonna surprise you the most. Also, it's just good to have footage to review because yeah. you never know. You're not gonna remember all those. Like you're gonna have a, depending on what you're auditioning and who you're auditioning for, you're gonna have a lot of things to go through and a lot of things to remember. Um, and then also two one two very important tips that I love. One, bring water. It's really nice. Yep. It's really nice for for you know for obviously your um your co-conspirators, co-creators, um that to have water, but it's really nice thing to offer to the to the actors as well. Um, uh, you know, it goes a long way. The and all your actors too. Another tip for you guys: be nice to the person you check in, um, that checks in. Because I actually went out there and asked Wes every single time how he's being treated. Because I wanted to know, I wanted to know exactly how it was. Because I don't want some person who's gonna treat the person who checks people in like shit. Then come in the audition room, and we're like, "Hey, how are you, everybody?" I can already tell you one thing: just if I'm running a set, if you're a disrespectful person, you're not on my set. That, yeah, that's just a fine line. There is no room for stress on any of these projects. All that does is bring problems, and we're not looking for that. And I've and, and I've been on my fair share. The um, and the other uh, the other big tip is um, if you're in a rental space and there's other auditions going around, pay attention. The um, uh, talk <laughs> with people around. I grabbed a girl from from another audition to come and audition for us. She was great. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the um and you know um uh, it, it was definitely a um uh, a, a really good uh, good thing to have more variety um in your auditions and everything else. And you'll never know who you'll catch by accident because we actually really like that audition. Yeah, we really like that audition. Um uh, and I think it's really important to expand your nets uh, when it comes to talent. Um uh, get around and also too you know talk to the directors, talk to the people who are running the auditions. I found our first AD on one of my auditions, and she's going to be on the set with us uh, this weekend. So, um, always be be looking. Always be always on the lookout for you know for different talent in different areas. Networking, man. Networking is super super important, um, especially in this industry. Indeed. So, um, and the other thing too is auditions are always going to go past um, time. Always, you know, just just be respectful of the actors. Say, hey, thank I, I thank you so much for hanging out and everything else. Um, uh, you know, we're going behind. As long as actors that are auditioning for you know that you're going behind, you'll never hear any complaints. None of them ever complain. I I, I almost always assume, you know, it's an assumption for me when I walk into an audition space that you, that people are running behind. It just happens. The um so and then another thing for all of our filmmakers is, a don't close the audition um, uh, sign up too early. Yeah. Um, uh, because you're going to continuously get more and more. Um, uh, you know, um, more, more choices always better than less choices. Correct. Yeah. Um, also, be prepared with um, a side or a script for the auditioning actors to read from. Mm-hmm. Uh, most actors, I found, do have their own monologues that they bring. But if you're looking for something very specific, that monologue might not fit the project you're casting for. Yes. Um, so if you have a side or you have a sample scene for them to read from, then you'll know you're they're going to be auditioning for the piece that you're trying to make. Um, if you have the director there, which you should. Um, if the director's not there, you have a problem. Oh, yeah. 
I, um, I don't know what you're doing. And there are casting directors, like, smaller roles, but that's when you get to, like, bigger, bigger I, projects. I know. Um, I think the director should always be part of the casting process. Oh, well, yeah. There's actually a behind-the-scenes documentary I want to show you later on, but it's of uh, the Kevin Costner movie, Open Range, and it's there is a part where he is talking to the casting director, and he is watching the videotaped auditions and looking at the headshots, even though Costner couldn't be at the auditions himself. He was still very much involved with the casting process. Um, it was actually a very interesting little behind-the-scenes thing. Indeed. Um, uh, but, also, but yeah, and also, but yeah, the director should have some adjustments prepared so you can see the performance a few different ways, and also talk to your actors about filming logistics. Uh, especially if you have some uncon- some unconventional things going on in your set, like yes. we do, we, we're <laughs> going, out, we're pretty much filming a night scene over three nights um, at a street light, which <laughs> we're not gonna go into the specifics on that right now. I'd rather save that for when we talk about the making of. We already went the to episode. the basics of it. I think it was last week. We so. talked about what we we're looking for in a location. Um, but it's, you know, it's, there's some, we always try to run our sets as professionally as possible. Yes. Uh, we expect a lot from the people we work with, but also we expect a lot from ourselves. And so there are, t- but there are times where in order to get the exact piece we're looking for, we need to do some things that are a little weird. Um, that's just filming, though. Yeah, that's just filming. It's just it. it, it we we got goals to accomplish and we got things yeah. to do. Um, yeah, definitely explain it. And actually, I think we ex- we explained it pretty well. And even people that we all looked at each other were like, "We're not interested at all." It was we took the time to actually explain it, yeah. just because I think that's how we are. One, by the you way, you look a lot more professional if correct. you say you have a plan. Absolutely, and especially like us, we have been talking to the Chicago Film Office. To make sure we can do things the way we're looking to do it. Correct. And it just it makes things easy on yourself too, because then on the day of, if you keep everything from your cast and your crew, it's going to seem like you're just making it up as you go along, which is a huge. Which problem. you don't want at all. No. I have been on sets before where the director and the producer was were making things up as they went along. And the the crew can tell, the cast can tell. Um, so yeah, it's always be prepared. Correct. To, to just talk about logistics for what you need for filming. Because if somebody knows that it's going to be a little different going in, they'll feel better about it, as opposed to just being dumped on about it today. Throw thrown in, and then the one thing too, I will say this is a, and that's a little thing. Go and say hi to your actors. Like actually get up and say, hey, thank you so much for coming in. Everything else. Nice to meet you. I'm Mark. I'm Brandon. I'm Zach. They are people too. Make your actors yes. feel as comfortable I, I as possible. I have met directors who do not share that philosophy. I, I and and I don't I don't care for those directors nope. at all. That's a ridiculous. Yeah, you need to make your actors feel as comfortable as possible. Because again, this is a this can be a very stressful process for them. There's some people who it's just natural and they just go about it like it's nothing. But there are some people who, especially first timers, they're they're sweating out of their skin. It, and you could tell, so just you know, feel comfortable, be welcoming. Okay. They're respectful, you be respectful. It, it's, it's it's a two way street. Man. It's that simple. The one thing too I wanted you to talk about too, because I think this is important, is especially with directors in in casting situations and everything else, is if you're not seeing 
you know, you kind of, you, you like what they're doing, but you want to see them do it a different way. Don't be afraid to ask for them to try it a different way. Don't so, direct them, you know, direct Pretty much what way. we call that is an adjustment. So, um, say you want somebody to act out, let's say, uh, a love scene. Um, one, one way they might do it romantic. Like, you tell them, okay, act out this scene the way you think it should be played out. It's a love scene, they act it out their way. And then you're just like, okay, act it out like you're trying to murder this person now. That's kind of an adjustment. Yeah. Or, or act out like every uh, like you've struck out with every previous romantic relationship you've possibly had in the past. Yeah, you can You're go, gonna be acting completely different as opposed yeah. to someone who's confident. You can give them a really um, simple instruction, or you can give them a much more detailed instruction. So, like I said, act okay. Act like you're murdering this person now. Okay, act like this person has been cheating on you for the past year now. And this is your time to finally strike back and exact your revenge. Or act like you've just been hired to kill this person. You really have no emotional tie to Correct. your victim at all. Actually, Zach, I love your adjustments. I have I've loved your adjustments since since I auditioned for you. Anything else? You have the simplest adjustments ever. They're one sentence or one. You do not get into a whole big thing. You you literally play it the way you want. And then the next one is pretend you have a gun in your head while you say this, and then pretend or you. Just one sentence, like that's all it takes. You have, I've always liked your adjustments when it comes to doing that. You're very simplified. Again, I'm a very simple person. I give very simple rules. The only time I'll really go into much more detail is pretty much on set. I don't imagine myself really doing that during an audition unless it's absolutely necessary. I haven't run into that situation yet, but for the most part, if they can do the simple, if they can do the simple adjustments at the audition, they could take the extreme direction during the actual shoot. And I've had. I have not had a single bad casting in any of my films. God, he's gotten so fucking lucky. It's yeah. not luck; it's skill. I I just know how to pick people. You know, it's it's a skill. I can and read and also people. Just, and this, we're going into more set stuff, so we can talk about this in more detail in later episodes. Mm-hmm. It's like don't just don't be an absent director. Yeah, I, I have been on sets before where the director just leaves the actors alone and it's like, oh, I just like them to come up with their own creative input. And, I'm, and it's no. like, what you get is you get that the performance is like this rhythmic talking where they're just kind of talking with a style, but you can tell the director didn't give them any directions. They're just trying to make something out of it. You, you, um, you got it. You need to talk and Basically, work with your actors. Yeah. And it's like if you want to be a director, then freaking direct. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? And, and as speaking from an actress perspective and everything else, we need that. Like we need a little something. Like it isn't much. Like it real. Like at least from my perspective and everything else, um, I've actually, like I've worked with a lot of directors who will go into like, like work directors like Zach who are very like you know cool but i also work with directors who are like but blah, 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 like this this that and that and that and which i i like both of them and everything else and i i as an actor have and don't ever take this um personally and everything else it's you you'll actually know when you're working with an experienced actor when they will cut you off when you're in your explanation mode and i'll tell you what i mean by that when when you have a situation we have a, a relationship and they say hey um Maybe if you play this like, you know, like say for instance, you know, remember when you were younger and you got your ball stolen and everything else and you try to get it back and, you know, and then he goes into a paragraph and, and an actor will, and like the second sentence will be like, I got, it. cool, got you, got you and everything else. And then go into the scene. 
that's when you know you're working with a really good actor. It's probably, it's actually, you could probably measure it in the clock. The quicker they get it and everything else, the better off you are. Um, yes, I'm being kind of facetious with that, but, uh, but don't take it personally and everything else. Uh, they'll cut you off when they get it because they know time is valuable and they know, and especially too, when actors, like when they feel it and they're in a rhythm, they want to get it. They want to get the scene because they like, oh, I have the feeling now. Let me go. I got to go do something with it. Um, but yeah, don't take it personally when you're working and this is more on set stuff, but it can be in auditions, you know, especially if you're a, a, an explainer. And you need you need to get that detail out. If an actor in an audition says, "Okay, cool, got it, got it, no worries," don't take it personally. Like that that truly just means that they have it, um, and they're gonna, and they're gonna go performing for you. But they don't want to lose the feeling that they have with that direction because acting's all about feeling. It's about feeling and reacting. That's 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 it. That's that's all that's all we got. So don't when you're giving an actor direction, it, it, even in an audition process. And they and they cut you off, or they you know not in a rude way, but this I got it and everything else. Don't take it personally. Yeah, the only time I would say you could really get away with you know not giving your actor too much direction is if they're playing a role that they played before. Like this is a sequel, and they're playing the same character, and they have a huge understanding of that character. Like this is a character they've been playing for a very long time. You still need to give them some direction. Or a long-running TV series. Yeah, that, yes. that's, that's pretty much what I'm talking about. Like you still need to give them some direction. But for the most part, they know that character. Or there's Bruce Campbell on Burn Notice. During the final season of Burn Notice, he was talking about how there were directors who hadn't directed for the show yet. So this is their first episode of Burn Notice that they're directing. And they would give him some directing and Campbell would just be like, I've been playing this character for five years now. um, So I'm just going to play it the way that it should be played. Bruce Campbell is his own thing. Only uh, Sam Raimi could really tell him what the hell he wants to do. Yeah, <laughs> Sam Raimi's the only one who gets exclusive rights I mean, over d- that. D- does anybody really? Can anybody really tell Bruce Campbell how to play Ash? No. no. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> anyway. Oh right, anyway. right. Any any final <laughs> thoughts on the uh, on the audition process, guys? It's important. Um, actually, do auditions. Uh, it helps you see how professional an actor is going to act. It lets you see the actor's performance there. You can actually make adjustments on the fly that you can't really do on a video. If a actor sends a video audition, you're kind of just stuck in a... You're either stuck with that video or you get trapped in like a back and forth yeah. that can last a few days, which that just wastes everybody's time. And... Yeah, it just lets you see everything as opposed to... I, I know people in the past who have put up casting notices and actors just send in their headshots and maybe a demo reel and it was like, okay, you're hired. You haven't even met the... Like, it's... like You don't know what the person's like. Zach, Zach, could be like the Zach biggest has asshole said to both world. me and Mark during the entire pre-production process, he wants to see if they'll actually show up. Because, yeah, you can email somebody all you want but if they won't take the time to actually come out for an audition, um, how do we know if they're going to be reliable the day of set? Exactly. Like, you like you really got to be harsh on some of these people. Yeah. Like, even if you're doing free work, yeah, you're going to have, like, a lot of people who cancel out on you. You may have somebody really good who cancels out on you and wants to do a video audition. Don't hire that person. Hire the person that comes in. Correct. Absolutely correct. Like, that person's taking time out of their day 
to audition for your project. They want to be in your project. That that act that means a lot. Yeah. Especially if it's for free. Oh, and also one one last tip and everything else that's stupid, but remember to do it. If you're gonna videotape these auditions, ask them if it's cool if you videotape it. I, they're gonna say yes. It's still important. If they say no, you already know the answer. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you got a pretty good idea. It's just like, oh, you don't want to be filmed for an audition. Do you want to be filmed at all? No. The uh, all right. I, I, I believe <laughs> that the film will take my soul. <laughs> no. Do, do we? Yeah. Even, like, yeah. Do you I'm even gonna... host the audition at that point, or do you just say, "You see that door right there"? I hopefully your soul doesn't escape when you go back through it. <laughs> the um, uh, so. On that note, um, uh, we can uh, wrap this up. We're gonna, yeah. we're gonna bounce out of here. Mark has an appointment. The um, um uh, the unfortunately, I have adulting to do. The um, God, uh, Mark, you're so irresponsible. Shut up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we do have filming of Living Nightmares episode two coming up this weekend. Uh, we hope to have some behind the scenes stuff to post after that. Um, this episode will be up by the time we're done filming. Yeah. And then we're, and we're going to do everything we can to get the uh, second episode, of course, up as soon as we can. You know, yeah. it takes time, but um, uh, hopefully it won't be as many visual effects shots as the first one. If there is, I'm going to throw something out of a window. The um, uh, <laughs> Let's let's hope that there's nothing being thrown out of Zach's apartment's nope. window. But yeah, uh, don't forget to give us a like and subscribe. We have the Facebook page at Living Nightmares Official. And we finally have our Instagram. Thanks, Zach. At Living Nightmares Official. Yeah, um, the um, and actually we will um, uh, we do have a uh, Snapchat. I am not sure uh, what it is, but I will have I will send it to Brandon to put in the link below. Um, he will put it at the top. So. I will send him the Instagram link to put in the link below. Um, and then I'll put the Facebook link in the description below. And then um, on please yeah definitely follow us on Snapchat though because along with. The behind-the-scenes footage will also have some snaps from uh, from the shoot as well um, uh, that I'll be doing. So it's definitely a um, uh, gonna be a good time. So yep, cool. Yeah. Uh, tune in next week on Alien Day for the Alien Day podcast. All right, all right. I guess that's what we're, <laughs> guess that's what we're doing. Yeah, we're not passing that one up. That one's gonna be mostly Alien Day. It, it's gonna be all Alien, and then what the hell happened on the shoot? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Everyone have a great and horror-filled week.